Hey there, folks. What do you know? It's the Uticast episode 274. Uh, joining us this week, uh, first-time visitor to the pod, Josh Grossvent from K-Rock, joins us here this week. Really looking forward to chatting him up about music and the radio, and uh, I've always been into that sort of conversation anyway, so I'm very excited. Also this week, uh, we'll talk about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her passing earlier this week. Uh, we will talk about a Joe Rogan presidential debate, the New York split into multiple states. Uh, also this week, we'll talk about history lessons, uh, a really important split as well between Salino and Barnes. Uh, Mushroom Coffins, Andrew Yang, Emmys 2020, all of that, folks, and so much more. Uh, as always, and like every week, we are so, so happy to have you here. It didn't look right. Mm. The signals were too mm. loud. Folks, you missed out on three minutes of really riveting Ottoman what? coffee conversation. I would say probably the best three minutes we've ever podcasted. <laughs> we we missed out on because the microphones weren't on. Yeah. We were we were rarefied air. We were glowing. It was some of the best content that you'll never hear because we didn't use the right mics. Countdown to new computer continues. Supposedly mm. shipping tomorrow is what I've seen. It's wild to me that it takes so long for Apple to ship their flagship products. I don't know products. why. I don't know why. I mean, I don't know if there's like some sort of shortage. I guess I don't know. I don't know what their supply chain. I was is a little like, thrown off by it. But, but it seems wild. They would uh, tell you three weeks when you're going to order, like their number one thing. But it should I mean, be not number one thing. I guess iPhone, but number one. Uh, I should be here though soon, and uh, I wonder if this week or next week uh, will be the last episode we record on this computer. Mm. Counting down the days, I am certainly ready. Uh, welcome back to the show, folks. It's Uticast episode 274. Autumn is upon us, and we are joined for the first time by a by a guest. We haven't had a first-time guest in a long time. Uh, lately, especially in, in the COVID times, it's been a lot of mm-hmm. uh, relying on old friends. You know what I mean? Next week, yeah, we yeah, have definitely. old friends coming in next week. So, um, so it's nice to get someone who's never been on the show. This, of course, is Josh Grossvent from K-Rock, a.k.a. K-Rock Josh mm. on Twitter. Uh, who uh, I'm excited to talk to. I like talking to radio folks. I yeah, really definitely. Do. It's always we've talked about it before too. It's always nice because with the variety of guests you get and people that have come on the show for in the you know the years we've been doing this, it when you get somebody who's comfortable with being on the radio and talking with microphones in front of them, like kind of with a oh, purpose. Yeah. It's just like it's like a breeze for you for you know doing the interview and doing like speaking with these folks. Uh, I had someone ask me not too long ago, like what was the worst interview you've ever done. And I mm. said, I would never say that to mm. anyone because that'd be a terrible thing to say. But I do know the things that don't make for a good interview. But mm. that's a question, you know, and one yeah, of them yeah. is just sort of like an inability to, I don't want to use the word banter, but an, an ability to have an opinion on something, whether it's yeah, yeah. one way or the other, right? Like I I struggle when I feel like I have to drag a conversation out of somebody. Well, because I feel like engaging conversation is a dance in in some form. You know what I mean? So somebody <laughs> yes. has to be willing to... Because you're right, it's not necessarily banter. It's not like small talk per se, but 
being able to have like build that report and get that back and forth going, you know what I mean? It's easier for some folks than it is for others, you know, and certainly radio folks are professionals. So Josh will be on uh, a little bit later. Kev, I know it's cold outside. Uh, winter is here, but you winter, must... I mean, that's... Winter's might be here. Over winter is not uh, here, but fall is definitely coming through the door. But you must still be basking in the glow of your Los Angeles Lakers after a huge win last night. Oh, are... this, I mean, come on. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, certainly. It's it's nice. Oh, it's, only, it's only game two. You know what I mean? Games games aren't over until they're over. You got to keep that mama mentality the whole time if you want to win. That's so very. Uh, it's nice to see. I wish it's frustrating to. This is a, a probably like a niche complaint in sports, but some people will definitely know what I mean. It's tough to root for a West Coast team because the games are always on late, late night. at night. Like yeah. I was watching the game with somebody the other night, and they remarked to me. Oh, you know, isn't it? It's late for this game to be on. I'm like, well, you know, it's the West Coast game. And it's the second game, so it starts so late. And the playoffs have always started really late anyway. But it'd be nice if the games were on at seven o'clock. But I'll take them. I'll take what I've been getting. Love to see it. Uh, so we'll get into some news in just a moment. I do have some quick hits this week, and the first of them is an event that we have coming up this Wednesday mm-hmm. at Handshake City. Uh, good friend of real life who's never been on the pod. I've known him for many years. Dan mm. Rudolph. Dan Rudolph. Dan Rudolph. Uh, this Wednesday, starting on September 23rd at 6 p.m. at Handshake City in Utica, New York, you can learn the basics of juggling. It's donation-based, so it doesn't cost you anything. Please, please donate to us and help out our cause here mm-hmm. in Handshake City. Uh, and all you need to do is bring, I love the way that this is worded, Three equally weighted ball-shaped objects. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have to be a ball. So bring anything you. You can bring oranges. You can bring limes. Any limes. Tennis balls. Any anything. Kind of thing. Yeah. Equally weighted ball-shaped objects. And again, donation-based. Uh, you know, and and Dan's not just going to teach you about juggling as a thing. He talks a lot about sort of the health, uh, happiness, and you know. Brain health aspects of it, too. I've known uh, Dan Rudolph. This makes me really happy to see. I've known Dan Rudolph for a long time. Fun fact, he was one of my brother's college roommates. Mm -hmm. um, And I've known the whole Rudolph family. You know, we've known them for a long time going to school. All great people. So it makes me super happy to see him down there and doing this. Because I know he spent a lot of time overseas and a lot of time working in different places and learning a lot of things and traveling around the world. And so it's awesome to see him coming back and giving back. And that's always stuff you're happy to see when somebody's doing positive stuff like that. And it's also, it's crazy to know how to juggle. He's I've never been able to juggle and I've tried I have I've like half tried so many times but then I'm just uh, like this is it seems like magic to me when somebody's an amazing juggler it's witchcraft. I I'm going to have to get uh Dan on the pod sooner or later cuz he has a really fascinating story about yeah, his yeah, being in sure. China and India sure, and the time sure. he spent there so uh we're definitely going to get him on the show but mm-hmm. this Wednesday you can meet him and learn the basics of juggling at Handshake City 6 p.m. Handshake.city for more information or go to Facebook slash Handshake City. So that's note number one. Note number two, uh, not really a quick note necessarily. Um, I I saw in the mail that I got my election day voters information, Mm. right? Uh, So again, November 3rd, polls are open 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. I vote at the Parkway in case anyone wants to Mm. wave at me when they see me down there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The early voting dates and times are on here as well. What are your? Are you going to vote on the regular day or on voting election day? Are you going to do any early voting? I'm going to take a look. I might. uh, If early voting looks like it's going to be easier, that's probably the move that I'll make. But I've got to look and see what the dates and times are. I've got similar thing. I just haven't looked to see what it is. If you can get in for early voting, I'd recommend it. I feel like it's easier. A lot of people wait to the last day, and with the weather getting colder, you know, you've got to wait for as long as it takes to cast your vote. But 
it can get tough when it's cold out and stuff like that, especially if, you know, there's lines growing and getting out somewhere. But to be fair, I voted the Parkway as well, and they always do an excellent job down there. Oh, it's yeah. nice. One of, like, the underrated gems of the city, actually. The Parkway? That facility yeah, on the it's parkway, really nice. Like the rec center with the courts <laughs> and everything. It's a really nice facility. Yeah. And it's always pretty, uh, every time I've gone in there to vote, it's been pretty streamlined. They 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 run the they run a, a tight ship down there, and it's nice because they have all the space to really stretch everything out. Because we're sort of on the cusp, so sometimes, for certain things, mm. I have to go to the JCC and vote. When, yeah. And I like the JCC just fine, nostalgically, because it reminds me of where my mom used to go vote yeah, when Yeah, we I used to play kids, basketball right? when I was a kid. But it is not, I, I, let me put it this way, it's not meant for... Easy access in and out flow. No. It's a little bit of a mess in there. And traffic flow, yeah, traffic's not. Yeah. Like that. yeah, yeah, great facility. Love the JCC. It's no. funny when I used to live literally five blocks up from here, like up on the top of the hill at my dad's house when I was younger. It used to be JCC, and it's funny, such a short move. We'll just move you to a different spot. The early location, the early voting locations around us are MVCC, mm. New Hartford Town Hall, which is in the old Gander Mountain, which I like mm-hmm. that they have to put in parentheses afterwards. Yeah, yeah. No one knows. You're no, they moved about. it. They, I got to tell you, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> No, I'm not denying it is. I yeah, just, yeah, no, I had to go up for something. What? A, yeah. That's such a cool repurposing of an empty commercial building. That's. I mean, I'm again. I'm not again. I just love yeah, that yeah, yeah. that is still like the still free. You got to give it like five years, right? That's the re- like the, the five year window point, like, where you're like, hey, by the way, don't forget this is not down in Washington. Mills yeah, this anymore. used to be Gander Mountain, uh, mm-hmm. and then the South Rome Senior Center. So my question is this, and again, maybe my listeners or you could help me out here. Uh, so for early voting, even though I vote at the Parkway, I could just go to one of these early voting locations and register to do it there? Is that how this works? Mm-hmm. Seems very straightforward. Yeah, I, <laughs> Painfully straightforward. Wish it didn't have to be so bad. Yeah, <laughs> it, it shouldn't, doesn't have to be so hard, yeah. Um, another quick note, and I didn't know where else we were going to talk about this, but I thought it was really interesting. Earlier this week, <laughs> Mayor Paul Mary announced a complete street trial on Genesee Street. A quote-unquote new Genesee Street. Have you looked at the designs that... Ryan McGrogan had out there that they'd made for them? I have not. It's pretty interesting. So essentially, it's the idea that they want to build, like, bike lanes, uh, green buffer zones. Yeah, that's funny because I actually saw a bunch of green posts on Genesee Street this morning. I wasn't sure what they were. I'm like, is that like a bike lane? What is that? I gotta tell you, I I don't know in practice how this will come out, like, Mm -hmm. as an idea, but, uh, or as in, you know, as an idea versus in reality, but I love this idea. It's an amazing idea. Um, I'm going to look more into it probably after this now, which you know goes to show that I really did my homework here this week. But I'm interested to see it because I think it's an interesting idea and it's something that would be really helpful for our downtown area. And I don't want to be a knee-jerk naysayer. I just I wonder what the people are going to do with parking. Everybody parks in the street all the time down there. Yeah, so essentially the way it looks on here, and I, I could be wrong, but it looks like the you know, sidewalk, a green sort of buffer area, trees, mm. whatever, then a bike lane, then car parking. So the bike lane is in between the car parking and the green space. So you're sh- shortening the sidewalks? I don't. That's my question. Put all this. That's my so question. Wide. I gotta yeah. take a look at this. Yeah, but that's the the general idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and if that's the idea and it works without you know any sort of issues with like widening streets too far or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I like this idea in theory a lot because I do think bike paths in Utica would be great. You know, Brooklyn, not not to do the whole like we're going to talk about New York City. <laughs> we're going to talk about New York City in a little bit, so I don't want to get too far ahead sure. of myself. But uh, I loved 
you know, I'm not a bike rider, but having the bike lanes in Brooklyn made it a lot more accessible for a guy like me who doesn't bike ride all that much to mm-hmm. be willing to bike ride. Yeah. I hate bike riding in Utica. And as somebody who's seen, I've had just even the last couple of days alone, there have been a couple of people I've seen out or like people on bikes where I'm like, oh, this is, you're kind of, you're dangerous. It's like a dangerous spot right now for, yeah. Yeah. for both of us. Yep. For me as the driver and this person as the bike, I'd like situations on I'm not comfortable being near this. Um, and we don't need to get too far into this. I just wanted to make a quick note to people. We, uh, you know, it was brought to my attention by Kevin earlier. We lost a friend of ours last mm. night. Um, you know, it's really easy to be like down and depressed, you know, in this, in this sort of world we live in. And it just, I, I want to make sure people take the time to, you know, be aware of their mental health and reach out for help to the people around you. Even if you don't know if you have people around you, which I think is scary sometimes for people or is part of the problem, but... There's probably always someone there who'd be willing to listen if you were willing to talk or if you needed help. So you need to allow other people to help and be party. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go too far into it. but Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll say uh, straight up that, you know, our dear friend Matt Wilkinson, that we've okay. known since we were 15 or 16 years old, you know what I mean? And I would, you know, I played in a band with him in my yeah. first band ever. And we hung out all the time when people were first getting cars and we were just hanging out in high school and like around that time. I would always see him around town. Matt Wilkinson's one of those guys, if you hear the name and don't know who it is, but you've been out and around and yeah. about in Utica, you probably know him anyways. You know, he's worked at a lot of different places. He's been, you know, out very publicly, playing a bunch of different bands, things like that. Um, and he's a guy who, you know, he struggled for a long time. And it's, and you know, just to underline your point, uh, a lot of people struggle with depression and a lot of people mm-hmm. are maybe hurting more than folks know. So it's just, yeah. it's important to always be reaching out to people and supporting people and, checking on folks you wonder about you know because it's it's just it's always sad to see because it's such a waste you know such a, a kind kid and talented kid and it's just with a heavy heart you know to see that something like that has come to pass when uh, when we were kids matt was one of the first people i knew who i pinpointed as a good musician and this happens mm-hmm. a lot for like when you're a kid and you're a musician yeah, yeah. like you you start off in bands and you notice that there's one person. Well, because when you're learning, right? Yeah. When you're 16, 17, some kids just jump to it yeah. like a fish to water. And those yeah. kids stand out when everybody else is still learning how to strum out basic Green Day songs. You know, and it sounds weird to say because, like, you know, who are we? But, like, when I was a kid, I always thought, like, oh, Matt was, like, the secret weapon to this band. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was in that band. That <laughs> was the secret weapon. Dude, Matt can shred. Matt was, he was legitimate. He brought yeah, a legitimacy yeah. to playing the guitar and, that a um, lot of bands that young didn't have. Oh, man. Because everybody was, like, starting out young. Man. And, um... Yeah. And, Great dude with a lot of love in his heart. And I know there's a lot of dudes around, you know, you and me who also feel really sad about this as well. And, you know, we've talked mm-hmm. to some of them already today. So, yeah. But yeah, uh, so sad stuff, you know. Check on your people. Yeah. And reach out to everybody. Because like, I think you made the point, too. Everybody's having a tough time. This has been such a hard year for so many people. Mm-hmm. And so many people are just, like, pushing through and getting by. And, like, we're all having a hard time. Everybody's dealing their own way. So it's just important in tough times that people try to check up on one another and remember and what's important who they care about all that stuff so boy and uh it feels like an odd transition now to go into what is the biggest news story of the week uh which is also dark times uh ruth Bader ginsburg uh passed away earlier this week at the age of 87 uh she's a cultural feminist icon she was one of the most important women in the history of our government uh very mm-hmm. sad uh and very important. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, this was a quote from uh, Chief Justice John Robert. Our nation has lost a justice of historic stature. We at the Supreme Court have lost a cherished colleague. Today we mourn, but with confidence that future generations will remember Ruth Bader Ginsburg as we know her, a tireless and resolute champion of justice. 
Um, yeah, I saw a lot of people posting really mm-hmm. great, motiv- you know, wonderful things about Ruth Bader Ginsburg yeah, as yeah. well. Um, you want to jump in here? Because I got other stuff we'll go to, yeah. Sure, here's what I'll say. Um, I... I will I will stay outside of the political implications mm-hmm. of many of this stuff and what it means for current events and going forward. There's there you if you want to hear about that, there's a million places you can hear about that mm-hmm. uh, because it's it's important. It's one of the main things people are talking about. But I would like to focus on, you know, the notion of of who Ruth Bader Ginsburg was and her exceptional story and being one of those Americans in a way like man when you say they don't make them like they used to anymore. That's yeah. like that heroic, like when we think back to, you know, the grand heroes of our grandparents' generation, like these great, you know, monumental different Americans we've had throughout the history, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, for as small she was, looms large amongst all those people and figures. I think one of the craziest, you know, in an amazing story she has, one of the one of the most interesting things in, you know, reading more about her life and, you know, refreshing on that kind of stuff, there was a case that she had where she tried for her specific rights and sued for something and won and, you know, always, always a fierce champion for women's rights and women's equality. She won and then got to rule on that case when it was being challenged later in the Supreme Court. And it's just such a crazy story. And there's definitely going to be more movies and books and more awareness of this person and the story. But, I mean, this is just an absolutely great, great yeah. American. It's just, what a loss, you know. Uh, there's a really... Pile, throw it on the pile yeah. for the year. There's a really excellent uh, NPR uh, write-up about this from mm-hmm. earlier this week. It goes into a lot, again, talks about 1996, the uh, the 7-1 court decision declaring the Virginia Military Institute could no longer be an mm-hmm. all-male institution. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of really, you know, and again, it's really... A lot inf- of landmark stuff, yeah. even before the notion, I mean, that's, you know... Get to get to this point and this this level and this being a Supreme Court justice well, for a reason. It's you wild. Know, I think I thought about this earlier today, right? Because it she's been on the court for said twenty seven years. I saw somebody on Twitter say that uh, she the number one movie in America when she was appointed to the court was The Fugitive with Harrison Ford. To give you perspective of how long she's been on the court. Yeah. So like I I wonder like she was probably I wouldn't go so far as to call her a celebrity back then, but like to now watch politics go into a world where she became like almost a political celebrity late in her life has got to be a strange turn for somebody who like politics probably felt like something different in the 1970s than what it does certainly in 2019 and i think that i think that speaks to the larger notion of having this idea of celebrity and pop culture icons and crossing over all these worlds and blending it all into this strange like pop culture like you know, festering gumbo. Yeah. I, I just, you know, I, I you know, I, I don't, again, I think, you know, there's a million places you can go with a story if you want to know about what it means going forward, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's, I've already seen a lot of websites doing the math about what this means, about, you know, sure. senators and all this. Sure, sure. And, uh, and I don't think we should downplay what a important, what an important moment this is going to be. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think this is, and I'm, I, this feels like it's going to get really ugly really quickly, and mm-hmm. I and I don't I don't see any way that it doesn't in a mm. weird way. Um, but again, I have two reads about that. If you want to go further, we'll move on to some other stuff. Uh, I have two reads for that. Uh, there's one from Politico this week called um, "The Court Fight Will Test How Fragile American Democracy Really Is." It's from Politico magazine. It's quite good. And then also one from NPR this week called "What Happened with Merrick Garland in 2016 and Why It Matters Now" from NPR. Um, if you want to dig into both of those, those are both out there for you. Mm-hmm. I thought they were both really illuminating pieces. About yeah, this. there's um, that's that's there's always 
for as much as I say, there's not always as much for me to read in writing as I like. I talk about all the time how much I, I still prefer to, to do the reading, forgetting all this stuff. There's so many great journalists and, and authors and people out there working and putting content out. So there's a lot of illuminating pieces to get. And those are two, specifically that political one I had read. Mm. Um, yeah, so uh, do your homework. Ruth Bader Ginsburg <laughs> wanted you to do your homework. You know, you got to finish the fight. Like, let, let's, you know. Uh, let's... I do need to descend briefly in the Trump land. We only have two Trump stories this week. Uh, one of them makes me angry. One of them makes me confused. You can figure out which one is sure. Uh, which first one uh, starts here? And oh, that's not the that's the wrong one. I gotta go back. First one is this one. On Thursday, President Trump announced uh, a commission to promote quote patriotic education unquote and announced the creation to grant a pro-American school curriculum. Uh, essentially saying that what's taught in schools is a twisted web of lies mm. uh, and calls it a form of child abuse. This is a direct quote. Teaching this horrible doctrine to our children is a form of child abuse in the truest sense. For many years now, the radicals have mistaken America's silence for weakness. They're wrong. There's no powerful, there is no more powerful force than a parent's love for their children, okay? Uh, the patriotic moms and dads are going to demand for their country no longer, that their children are no longer fed hateful lies about this country. i got to be honest. I've looked at, like, public school education. It's very down the line. Like, there's not... Of course it, it doesn't is. even go... Of like, I, I don't... That's the thing. Like, I've seen him go off on this, like, uh, the 1916 project that, like, the New York Times did that he seems mm. to hate a lot. 1619. 1619. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I say that. Yeah. Uh, but that's not... But that's not like a thing that's taught in schools like that came out like we don't no one brought that up to no. any like the only time that was ever brought up it's, in school is if like hey did, have you read this to other teachers <laughs> like, it's because he sits and he watches Fox News all day and he gets himself worked up about what he sees on there where there's like ah oh, the liberals are indoctrinating, indoctrinating your children you know what I mean like anybody who works in education knows that's a farce uh, yeah, well, this is, uh, this is, again, this is from NPR, if you want to know more about this. President's remarks reflect a growing outcry among Republicans against recent moves to tell a more enhanced version of the nation's history, including its early fundamental reliance on slave labor and the longtime disenfranchisement and systematic racism against racial minorities. Again, people didn't know what Juneteenth was until this year, so we obviously aren't even talking about this stuff as much as we should. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, I don't... I just, sure. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me as an educator. And this story uh, really got my goat a little bit today. You know, you know what it is. I know what it is. I know. You know what it is. All right. So I don't know if you think that's the angry or confused one. Let's go to the next story. There's been a growing discussion about whether or not Joe Rogan, famed this podcaster. This one is confusion. This, <laughs> whether or not Joe Rogan should... Uh, what would you call it? He could officiate a debate? What do you well, call it? He wants to get both of them on his podcast for four hours with cameras. Okay. Let's let's pull this aside for one second. Would you listen to the Joe Rogan-led Trump-Biden four-hour debate? Of course. Absolutely. Of course. Would it be riveting content? I don't know. No. It's just going to be him talking about elk meat. He, I'm telling you, when when we don't, with the exception of rallies where he can go on uninterrupted and unchallenged, when have you ever seen since, I guess, maybe the debates, Trump go more than 20 minutes anywhere? He storms off every time reporters ask him tough questions, everything like that. Like, he walks away, he storms off in a huff. 
You're not going to get four hours out of that guy. You're just not. No. I don't know if Joe Biden can go four hours. Four hours is a long time, but he certainly looks a hell of a lot more fit to go for a long time and do a lot of things. Like, he looks like he can, like, move and walk and, like, get around and body and mind seem to still work. Like, there's this notion that he's, like, feeble in the brain. Yeah. So it's, like, a weird thing that people are just saying. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, everybody knows this. So like, like, do they? Like, show me. You know what I mean? Like, somebody who used to have a stutter, if they flub their words here and there, somebody says something, they can't find a word, that's different than, like, wheezing and slurring and sniffling and, like, leaning on the podium through your whole thing. Well, know. we're all, you know, everyone's looking it through their, their tinted glasses, I suppose. I want to go back to the, the Rogan thing for one second because I have it in... This is probably not going to happen, certainly. No. But just neither the fact, of them. I think I think both campaigns would be crazy to to acknowledge this, or not. No, maybe not acknowledge this. Um, but like, to, this is not. It's not a real idea. I think no, it's not a real idea. But I guess my question. If I'm is, either person's campaign manager, at least. Go ahead. I guess my question is like, what does this say about where Joe Rogan's place is in the media world today? That we're even having this discussion. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is like a conversation. Does it mean he's a master, like, manipulator of, like, getting conversations going? I think it means his position is higher than I bet he wishes it was. Interesting. Interesting. I, w- I would be willing to bet at the heart of hearts he wishes that I that some people wouldn't take him so seriously. Not that he doesn't want to be taken seriously, but uh, certain sectors of people give him a lot of weight that I don't think he necessarily asks for or calls for specifically you know what i mean and unfortunately sometimes that kind of encourages people more like you don't want to be the leader that's how we know you're the leader and like the whole neo thing but who would be a better single joe rogan interview trump or biden who would you rather listen to by themselves biden biden i I think i'd get more laughs out of biden i think i think biden would be more trump doesn't have conversations he just talks at people yeah he just talks at he doesn't engage he just sort of talks about whatever he wants and like fluffs right past it that's not really engaging to listen to you know what i mean just going in spin cycles i think at least with biden you would get some some variance and a little bit more nuance to it Mm. you know all right uh let's bring back a segment it's been a while uh one of my favorite segments, Thanks, I Hate It. And this week, we're going back to an old favorite. Guys, it's back on the table as of last week. State representatives have a bill on the table to divide New York into three separate states. Mm. Uh, the first state being just New York City, which we would call New York. The second state, which seems like the worst of them, uh, would be just the rest of Long Island. And then, like, two half counties above New York, which we're mm. calling Montauk. Which is a terrible name. Right. And then upstate New York, which we would refer to as New Amsterdam. Kevin, what are your thoughts on the name New Amsterdam for our pretension? No. <laughs> we talked, I mean, I know we talked about this just a couple weeks ago about the notion of divide and separate. It was a ridiculous thing. No. Silly. Uh, I, you know, it, there's a couple reasons why this would never happen. First off, it's famously unpopular. Like, this has been brought up numerous times and famously doesn't ever get passed anywhere because no one really wants this. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple reasons. One, you know, whatever you think about the Electoral College or not, it would screw up a lot of voting stuff mm-hmm. for New York as, like, a voting base. And, you know, I don't, you know, I'm sure some people might want that, but so that's a big that's part of it. That's what a lot of people want. Uh, and the other is the tax revenue. I think a lot of upstate New Yorkers who do not like New York City and, like, downstate mm. would be pretty upset mm-hmm. when... Jarred to find out how much money yeah. upstate takes from downstate. So I think those kind of reasonings always sort of stop it from ever really happening. Mm. I don't really know if I'd want to live in just the upstate. I, New York City has some cash. I know that makes me a, 
a coastal elite. I I enjoy the money that they contribute to the state and the funding you know they can go from there. Yeah, yeah, so, no, yeah. I, that's that's part of the deal of living in the state. No, I'm with you. Uh, I I do. I would love to see the naming arguments though. Like I I know that it was never happened. I'd love to be a fly on the wall in the room where everyone's out there like, no, we're New York. We're we're taking the New York name. New you, New York. Newer New York. York. Uh, some of the arguments was that you would call the New York City, you'd call New York City the region Gotham, but like they're not going to go for that. They're not, oh, not going to be. Nobody's calling it Gotham. Uh, so yeah, thanks. I, thanks. I hate Stop. it. Nobody cares about the DC Extended Universe. Stop trying. <laughs> uh, so New York State split into multiple states. Thanks, guys, oh. but I hate it. Uh, Only if you split off the Adirondack Park as a separate region and just oh. give it to me. Yes. <laughs> just. Yes. Make that my domain. Samstown. You can... <laughs> Yo! I, I would give you your town. If Thanks, I controlled man. the entire Adirondack Park, I'd give you Samstown. I gotta tell you, if you want a good laugh, though, type in pros and cons why New York City should become its own state and read some of the horror responses because they are a laugh. Mm. <laughs> They're not even, like, political, some of them. They're just, like, weird stuff. Just people being like... I don't want guitar lessons. I don't <laughs> want guitar lessons. Like... <laughs> Uh, they did say it would be interesting though because Buffalo would suddenly become the most populous New York state, right? So suddenly, city, bu- city right? Yeah. Suddenly, the biggest city in New York is yeah, the biggest Buffalo. West. <laughs> the biggest, oh, everyone, we're Buffalo. all going west, guys. Oh man! Uh, all right. Next got, thing you know, they'll be trying to latch off into Canada. Uh, I don't have any COVID stories this week necessarily, but I just wanted to share the story before we go to this week's interview because I, I just I don't, I don't know I didn't know where else to put it. Okay, this is a report. Uh, from Missouri, M.O., Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri. Mm-hmm. M.O. is the, yeah, okay, right, from St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Poll workers in St. Louis signed up to work for the November election in a county near St. Louis have been urged in an email to, quote, act surprised if voters asked why they aren't wearing masks given the coronavirus threat. Uh, there was an email that went out and said they're not required to wear the mask, but to keep one near them and to put it on if a voter asks. Uh, the county said that this email was simply poorly worded. Oh. That the quote "act surprise" phrasing was meant to convey that workers should not should put on a mask when asked about it instead of engaging in a debate with the voter to keep lines moving. I, I this is all terrible, but I feel like I've used this kind of energy in my life before. Not this exact move, but the the act surprised as a oh I didn't know I couldn't. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. like I've yeah, definitely yeah. used the. I didn't know I couldn't smoke a cigarette over here. My bad. Like I've yeah. used, when I definitely know that I cannot smoke a cigarette over sure, here. Sure, no, I know de- what you mean. I know I've, what you mean. I feel like I, I don't relate to this story, but I can relate to that energy at certain small aspects of my life. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Terrible story though. Wear your mask. Be a good person. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't know where else to put this story, so oh that's where it is here. Uh, okay, let's get out of the, the drudge news here, because most of the stuff we have for the rest of the day is fun. So, we've gotten through the hardest part of the day. Pepping back up on a Monday. No, pepping it back up on yeah, a yeah. Monday. Uh, and to start that, we'll get into this week's interview uh, with Josh Grossvent, who, mm. uh, you know, Josh and I have sort of been, like, casually liking the same stuff on Twitter and talking yeah, to each yeah. other for a long time, and... Mm-hmm. You know, I have a deep, weird fascination with, like, radio DJs and yeah, the power yeah, of radio sure. from years Absolutely. ago and back. So and I'm K-Rock, always... K-Rock's always been a local K-Rock, station, too, you know, so... Big, deep in my heart from Probably growing up. tough for them, because I know that they're usually very tied in with the Comet season, and I know that's yeah. been, like, a kind of a different thing going on this year. Uh, so, looking forward to talking to Josh, a first-time guest in the pod, which we have not had in a very long time, yeah, so yeah. I'm really looking forward to our interview with Josh, which we'll get to 
can't see you, but that's okay. There you uh, are. There I am. Hey, what's up, man? What's happening? How are you? Oh, uh, I'm okay, man. Living the dream. I mean, it's uh, it's a beautiful Monday here in here in lovely South Utica, and I'm. Uh, yeah. We were just talking about. I I uh, I saw this article earlier this week, and it was essentially like, uh, which, you know, how does your state feel about being hot or cold? Mm-hmm. Right. It was. Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was like a picture of the map and it's like most yeah. New Yorkers prefer the cold. So this is like my wheelhouse. I'm loving this kind of weather. This is no, great. you and me both. I, I hate being hot. I've always hated being hot. I don't, I don't like trying to cool down in the summertime. I prefer to be warm. I mean, I prefer to be cold and then have a lot of layers on. So I'm with you. This yes. is my time of year. I'm wearing like six layers right now. Uh, yeah. Josh, I have to tell you, we are recording as of right now because okay. I am bad at Zoom and I don't understand how to make this all work. Works <laughs> for me. Works for me. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to this, Josh. Uh, you know, I've been following you on Twitter for a while. And, you know, obviously seeing you on the radio, on the show, Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Sure. on 94.9 here uh, in Utica. And it was it 10, I don't know the Syracuse number. It's uh, 100.9 and 106- 100.9 Syracuse, 106.5 Oswego, uh, Watertown area. Awesome. And what I'm, what I'm really excited about, honestly, is especially now in the, in the COVID times, in the quarantine era of the show, we haven't had a guest in a really long time who is a first-time guest on the show. We're 274 episodes in, so um, I'm really excited. That's to exciting! Have you. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um, now, I usually like to start. Off, can you still hear me? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I usually like to start off with something a little lighter. And I was on your Twitter before I came here, just looking around, looking at content. And you were watching, it was an episode of Family Feud with Weezer taking on Fallout Boy? It might have been the saddest thing that's ever happened because it was like, <laughs> I mean, I like Fallout Boy, but Weezer is one of my favorite bands ever. And like, to the, I mean, I don't really have any Weezer stuff here, but I, I mean, to oh. the, I'm like a Weezer geek. And my Ooh. wife was in the other room and she says, hey, I think Weezer's going to be on Family Feud. And I said, that can't be. Why would Weezer be on Family Feud? But I went in there and they were. It was Weezer and Fallout Boy playing Family Feud. And I was like, I turned thirty nine this year, and it was like the most, like the most depressing thing that's ever happened. I was you just know? gonna say, I'm, a, I'm about, I'm almost gonna be thirty five, so we're sort of in the same yeah, yeah. wheelhouse yeah. in terms of pop culture. It got me thinking. I don't know if you've ever seen this. This is a good YouTube view, for people. There's a Family Feud episode with the Strokes <laughs> taking on the band guided by voices and that's a real fringe band why do they do that like i don't it, know <laughs> is it like a record label obligation because n- neither of them knew how to play family feud and like nobody 
like Patrick from Fallout Boy got the question right, like in the beginning, and he, they go, "Do you want to pass or play?" And he just stood there. And Steve Harvey goes, "You want to play? You want to play?" And like they don't even know how to play the no. game. Where do you? We're big game show. Uh, we're big promoters Same. of game shows, classic game shows. What's your go-to classic game show of choice? Oh, um, classic game show of choice is going to be The Price is Right. Price is Right. Bob Barker. Not necessarily. I don't hate Drew Drew Carey. He's he does fine. a fine job, but. <laughs> But Bob Barker, man, iconic. I was just talking about this with Kevin, actually. I think that Drew Carey's got the best gig in show business. He absolutely, and I think he knows it, too. Like, I think he knows that it's not going to get any better than this. Uh, Josh, I... For a little bit. I'm going to plug in headphones real quick. Go ahead, take your time, take your time. Uh, Josh, um, we like to start off our... uh, I don't know if you can hear me yet. We we generally like to start off our our first-time interviews uh, mm-hmm. with sort of a three-part uh, uh, breakdown. So okay. let's start with our our most basic stuff. We're going to go way back into the way back machine, Josh. Uh, where were you born? Where were you raised? Um, well, I was born St. Joseph's Hospital, Syracuse, New York. I was raised in Pennellville, New York, which is a small town outside of Syracuse, oh. New York. So what kind but, of population are you talking? Oh, very small. I very mean, small. My, my school... I, I, I only know that we had a class of 180 because I was ranked 178 out of 180. That's how I know <laughs> like that we had a class of 180 is how far down on the list I was. But my family is actually from Utica. So my family, came, they're from Italy, half of my, the, the Clovellis, which is my Italian side of the family, yep. ended up in Utica. Could you imagine that that happened? But yes. We're they probably related somehow. Probably in some way. So the Clovellis landed in <laughs> Utica and lived there forever until my grandmother and then they moved to the promising city of Fulton, New York, where oh, yes. there's <laughs> very little going on. So that's, <laughs> that was the big move. That's why I ended up here. But I do have ties to Utica. Hmm. Now, uh, so let me ask. So when you went to, like, high school, uh, like, elementary school, what district? Is that, like, that's not, like, West Genesee High School you're going to, is it? No, it was the Phoenix School District. My, my first two years was Volney, which is an even smaller town. Yeah. And then Phoenix, New York. And then I graduated from Phoenix in high school. I was there from grade two through high school uh i've always sort of talked about you know i i went to proctor high school and i think with a big giant public school like that it sort of allotted Mm -hmm. me a certain amount of anonymity uh, anonymity so if i wanted to be on lacrosse but also be in drama club and also be in a punk band i could just Mm -hmm. do that and no one cared because everyone had their own kind of thing going on on the flip side of that, this sounds like you're in a real small district. Did you know, like, everybody who was around you growing up? I knew every single person in my class. I still know them all because I still live in that same district. My kids go to the schools that I went to. So I see my peers and their kids picking up their kids at the same time picking up mine. So it's this weird thing. But it, it was weird because, like, because my wife is a – she's a speech therapist at a very big school. And she says that it's always weird because – we had the ability in Phoenix to kind of like just try everything yeah. because kind of like you said, it was a small district. So do you want to play football? Okay. Well, we're not a good football team. So go for it. Do you want to yeah, be yeah. in drama? Go whatever. We don't care. Go for it. Like you could just do whatever you wanted to do. So it wasn't the, the benefit of anonymity, like you're saying, but it was like, all right, yeah, no go, one, go try it. Yeah. There's only so much we got. So might as well do it. Right. Yeah. Like, go yeah. do it. You want to be a marching man? Go and be a marching man. We don't care. It's fine. There's only so many of us. Were you, uh, were you only child? Do you have brothers, sisters? I have a younger brother and a younger sister. So you're the oldest. I'm the oldest. I was, I'm the uh, baby. Yeah. 
How did you, uh, so I'm the youngest on the flip side. I have two older sisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you enjoy being the oldest sort of being the first through the, uh, through first through the breach with everything? I, I think there was like a, there was a cool, cool factor. It was a really scary, not to get like down on my childhood, but it was yeah. a really scary period because my mom had me when she was 19 and my, and my dad took off and she was a single mom for, you know, until I was about 10. So it's like, you're, you're, yeah, you're like the oldest, but I also have a younger brother. So it's kind of like, you're the oldest, but you're also, you got to kind of take care of your younger brother. So when we'd go places, like you'd have to go see dad on the weekends and stuff. It's like, okay, you got to take care of your brother. Like it was a weird kind of balance, you know? Yeah. I'm the youngest. uh, And my parents were divorced early on. So around eight, right in that same Mm, sort of range. And, you know, I think I would say on the pod because of this, my sisters became sort of my like latched everything because they're the only people who I could really talk to about any of this stuff and understand Mm -hmm. exactly what was going on. Mm -hmm. You still close with your siblings? Very close. Yeah. Very close. My brother for a little while was on the morning show with me. He did Mm -hmm. a couple of years with me and uh, my sister, they all live right around here. Very close. Still very close. Now I'm, I'm, I'm sort of nostalgic and tend to wax poetic a little bit because I, you know, I was a musical theater guy. I played Mm -hmm. music and, you know, growing up around here, you're, Co-worker, former co-worker, I, I haven't talked to him in a while. Uh, Rain Man, I was, yeah. I've talked to him many times. You know, he's sure. a, and, you know, he was, when I was growing up, sort of the gatekeeper to what was cool. I know that sounds so weird yeah. to say. No, but it's true. It's true. It, it is strange to be on the radio station that you grew up listening to. Yeah, and that's and sort of really what I wanted weird. to get to. Like, this yeah, is a like, station that talked to a lot of kids like us. You like, know? K-Rock, as we know it, was midnight i mean depending on what area you listen to utica yeah. was like 94 then syracuse was 96 or whatever but yeah. those were my formative years yes. of music man like yeah. like you got to figure 90 like i graduated 99 so when k-rock was just really killing it with bands that nobody has ever heard of and like bands like Gaggy Ta, where you're like who is that and you're like you don't know who Gaggy Ta is it seemed like <laughs> Like growing up on K Rock almost seemed like you were in a club that nobody else was in because you knew like the band like that running around Robin Banks Scooby Snack <laughs> song like K Rock would play uh, it and you're like what is this? I remember like the most formative time for me specifically with K Rock. Uh, I go back to like two specific things: sure. uh, Charlie Steiner and John Sterling calling Yankees games as a kid. That was really yeah. big for me growing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the other one was I want to say it was the big 10 at 10 and then they would they would be the top 10 songs of the night at 10 mm-hmm. o'clock or whatever it was yeah. and then yeah. they would have a call in where you would vote a song yep. on and off and yeah. it was during an era when it would be like the chocolate salty ball song by chef yeah. versus like too high for the supermarket by the uninvited which are two songs that i'm definitely pulling straight out of my ass right right now. right 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 <laughs> right yeah but those were songs that k-rock would play like yeah. Even still to this day, radio has got is such a corporate thing right now. Yeah. And to have, and I'm not just I'm not kissing my boss's ass yeah. by any means, but to have an independently owned radio station that can pull off shit like that, like we have Gerbil who runs midnight to six a.m. playing whatever he wants, from Ray Charles to you know scream metal to grindcore, and he's the only one in the country that's left doing that. So you look back to like the '90s. K-Rock, when Rain Man was, you know, the gatekeeper, essentially, it was that. It was like, I'm in high school, and I'm hearing music that is blowing my mind, and I want to hear more of it. 
you know, and there was something very like uh, visceral and momentary about, and again, I sound like an old man when I say stuff like this, but you know, I used to get a rush if I would call into the radio station and yeah. be like, I want to hear Counting the Days by Goldfinger. And sure, then sure. like, I'd have to sit there and wait for maybe 20, 25 minutes. And then yeah. just maybe it would come on. And when it did, it felt like this amazing moment. I wonder, I'm not sitting here trying to shit on social media, sure, but sure. I wonder if that sort of visceral enjoyment or search for music exists in today's, I can just go to Spotify and find whatever I want type thing. It's weird because it's, it's almost like there's zero gatekeepers now. So where no, it would none. Take it, it, there's none. <laughs> so whereas it would take a couple of steps before you heard too high for the supermarket. Yeah. Like, and by the time it got to you, you're like, okay. So somebody said this was a good song. I like yeah. this song. It's stupid and weird, but I like it. Now there's just no gatekeepers, you know? It's like, but I'm with you, man. I, just to hear a song on the radio, I, I, you and I are cut very much from the same cloth, from the punk rock cloth, from the yeah. music theater cloth. I even see, saw you tweet a minute ago that the Smashing Pumpkins are underrated. They're one of my favorite bands. To the point where I've never received, I'll have to send you this photo. So I'm such a Smashing Pumpkins fan. They were one of the first bands I ever saw live. Yeah. And yes, the song Rocket is one of the greatest songs ever written. Don't Unreal. But one of the first <laughs> bands I ever saw live, I saw them in Syracuse. And I've never seen them again. And I never yeah. was able to get like, I don't care about autographs, but I wanted a Billy Corgan autograph. And when you work in radio, there's just a bunch of shit in rooms, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, for And sure. I'll show you a photo of my office at work. Because I'm probably the only person in the world who has a framed Zwan poster hanging on his wall because oh it was signed by <laughs> Billy Corgan and Jimmy Chamberlain. And I go, well, I can't get a Smashing Pumpkins autograph with them. This is the closest I'm going to get to a Corgan Chamberlain. I'd love, you know, a Darcy and a James Eha on there, but okay, I'll take two out of the four. So I'm, I've got that hanging on my wall. And people are like, why do you have Zwan? I go, because it's Billy Corgan, man. I mean, I'm wearing a Matador Records t-shirt as we right. speak. So right. I'm, I, I love any of this. I, you know, I'm a big shoegaze guy. And yeah, like yeah, that yeah. 90s, you know, and I grew up like, I, I was just thought we're doing a whole bit next week with Malik from the Against the Algorithm podcast where we're talking mm -hmm. about nostalgic music. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was like a big, you know, I think, I think you're, especially when you're a kid, you're not quite as open to stuff. Because I was like sure. in a Green Day and Blink. Yeah. And that yeah, was yeah, about yeah. it. And then yeah. it was only slowly that like Pearl Jam started making yeah. its way into my life. I jokingly said like it like 15, I started, I added 96.9 to my repertoire of radio right. stations. Like it was right, only 94.9. Right, 94, nine. right, right. I was right. like, you know what? I like the who, I think. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I have, I only have, I have accidental cred because yeah. my mom gave me money on a, on a field trip to buy food. And we stopped at a record theater, like a record theater somewhere, yeah. right? <laughs> and I bought Nirvana's Bleach based yes. off of the cover. I didn't know who Nirvana was. They had long hair and it was black and white. And I go, well, I want to know what this is about. And now I have cred because I'm like, yeah, I, I fucking bought Nirvana's first record. Of course I did. I have a controversial hot take about Nirvana. Please go ahead. And I've, I've been saying this for a long time. People can get at me if they want. I liked all the Nirvana songs and yeah. all the albums. Yeah, yeah. If Nirvana, if, if Kurt Cobain had not died, we would have gotten into late era Rolling Stones with Nirvana yeah. at some point in time where they're putting out stuff. People were like, this is what Nirvana's putting. No, it would I 100% be... agree. I still like Pearl Jam, but it would be yeah. like what Pearl Jam is now. It's like, no. what is it, like 50,000 people listening to this? There'd like... be a Kurt Cobain ukulele record at some point. Yeah. It'd be like, what, is, what are we doing? Like, it w I'm, I'm agree, man. 
He, uh, he, I have another hot take too. <laughs> I think Foo Fighters are a better band than Nirvana. That's a crazy hot take. It's Shout a out crazy to my, hot take. <laughs> Shout out to my buddy Velarde, whose wife, Janae, is freaking out right now. Mm-hmm, you yeah. said that. She's so happy. Uh, so I, I guess this answers a lot of my question. My original question for this was, so when you're in high school doing your mm-hmm. thing, radio, this is already sort of like hunting down music, being a part of that thing. has already sort of infiltrated your life. It was like, you know, when you're in high school, you don't really know. You don't know what you want to do, but you know what you like, right? Uh, I work in public education, so yes. Yeah, so you know. (laughs) So I knew the things that I liked, but I didn't know how to get to it, meaning I loved music. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll play in some bands. And I can kind of play guitar and kind of sing. And I was like, well, I also really want to be David Letterman. So I'll maybe I'll go to college and be like a TV broadcaster. And and not until I was like 20 did I figure out, wait a minute, all these things you want to do, you – you're looking at them wrong. Yes. You got to kind of do this and then this and then add them together. And then I found my path, but I didn't know that in high school. Dude, this is, I swear to God, I'm not, I'm not trying to put you over. This is a thing that I talk to my students about all the time. And I'll go back yeah. to a really quick story that I'm sure people sure. on the pod have listened to before. When I was a young man, I had no, I knew exactly what I wanted to be. Exactly what I wanted to be. I wanted to be the WWF world heavyweight champion. <laughs> Right. Nice. There was, right. It right. wasn't even a question. It was like, yeah, right. professional wrestler. This is what I yeah. want to do with my life. Yeah. And after years of, you know, people not know, you know, they don't mean to do it, but people are like, you're not going to be a pro wrestler. You're, right. you're five foot seven, five foot mm-hmm. eight. You're, you're right. out of shape. Right. Right. But if someone had told me when I was a kid, look, you're not going to be a pro wrestler. But what you can do is learn about television production or right. learn about script writing. And I talk about my kids like all to my kids all the time about this. They're all like, I want to be a YouTube star. Mm-hmm. I want to be in the NBA. It's like you don't if you want to be in the NBA, then go to learn journalism because sure. one out of every a hundred thousand people is lucky enough to even have a chance to potentially be in the NBA. Right, right? exactly so, right. Like, but if you love basketball and you love sport, like there's a lot of ways you can be involved. And I wish more people had been open to thing talking about things that way when I was growing up. That's my well, idea. I do something with my, with my actual children. I have a nine-year-old and I have an 11-year-old. <laughs> and they, like every other kid, want to be a YouTube star or a Twitch of star course. or whatever. So over the summer, actually over this whole quarantine thing, they're like, Daddy, we want to launch a YouTube channel. And I go, I'll tell you what. You can launch a YouTube channel if you learn how to do all the parts yep. that go into that. And mm-hmm. I'll teach you how to edit video and I'll teach you how to make thumbnails and I'll teach you how to format a show. But only then do you get to do it because I figure – if they can learn those pieces, maybe they won't be a YouTube star down the road, but they can produce videos for a YouTube yeah. star or they can edit commercials for something. It's all about giving them the tools and then finding your path. I mean, people, you know, people ask me all the time about like the podcasting. They're like, how did you like start getting into podcasting? And I'm always just like, dude, I was in the kitchen in my house in Brooklyn with GarageBand. Like I did not know what I was yeah. doing. It did no. not take that long to figure it out. I had a background in music, so I understood a general concept of how to turn a recording on and off yeah right i didn't know i'm 274 episodes in i'm still essentially doing it on a laptop in a kitchen (laughs) that's and that's how it should be like there's it should always be fresh like it shouldn't it shouldn't be autopilot that's what i love about this medium now so when you went did you go to college for broadcasting or radio or what did you that's the other thing is that i went to college but i didn't know what i was going to do there where'd you go oswego state oswego state yeah so my parents made a deal with me. They said, if you, get, if you go to college for one year, we'll pay for half. 
So we'll pay half. You get a loan for the other half. I go, all right. I didn't care about college. I hated school. I wasn't great at it. I, I was a terrible student. So I go and I just fall in love with the world of college. And yeah. I'm like, I go home that summer and I go, all right, well, I guess I'm done with college. I don't, I'm not going to pay for this. My parents go, all right, go one more year. We'll pay half and you pay the loan. And this went for five years, this back and forth where I would say, <laughs> and I'm done. And all I was doing at college was taking the classes that interested me. So I'm like, hey, I want to learn about the history of, of TV or I want to learn about you know, comedy, or I want to learn about sociology. And at the end of all of it, my counselor is like, Hey man, you're like two classes away from a broadcasting degree. Cause I've been doing radio yeah. and I've been doing all these things that I just wanted to do anyways. And I go, all right, then let's, let's do that. So I kind of just did what it was interesting to me. Cause I figured I wasn't going to be there very long. I right. was going to yeah. fail out or stop going. So I just took the classes that interested me until I finally got a degree. Well, I always, I always laugh about this when I talk to like people about like, you know, I just got my master's degree over the summer. You know, it took forever. Nice, but, nice. But, uh, you know, and I said, you know, people were like, did you always want to do this? And I was like, no. At every time I got to an end point, I was like, that's it. Got my bachelor's. I got my associate's degree. I'm like, that's it. We're done here. Right. Got my right, bachelor's. Right, right, right. Like, oh, we're, we're, we're done here. Right, 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 Somehow, right. like, the Corleones, I was pulled back in. Uh, but I think, you don't. you know, that's the thing. Like, you don't always – people want to say there's this big, long plane, but sometimes you just – you go with what's in front of you, right? The opportunity was there for me to do it. The mm -hmm. opportunity remains, so just keep running with it. Yeah, just keep going with it. And don't be afraid. Like I always tell people, open your mind to another path. Don't say that this is my only path and this is how I can succeed. Yeah. Like I, when I did stand-up for years, I, I had friends who were like, I'm going to be a stand-up comic. I'm going to have a special. I'm going to be a stand-up comic. And they refused to deviate from that or see any other things like that are happening around them because they're set on this plan. And then- here they are still spinning their gears. And I'm like, you could have had something. You know, I think a really good example, we talked about this earlier in the first segment. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not here to be pro or con Joe Rogan, right? Right, 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 right? Joe Rogan, most popular podcaster in the world probably, sure. right? Yeah. Joe Rogan, the reason he's allowed to do that is because he made a ton of money on news radio and mm -hmm. Fear Factor. Mm -hmm. And so when he was out there doing stand-up and doing his podcast, he already had this back catalog right. of money and career that he could be like, I don't care what people do say or do yeah. about me because yeah. I already have this money. So yeah. I get, you know, the more stuff you do, the more, essentially the more clout you build for yourself to sure. do what you want. So that's sure. just what I, the other thing, just keep making content, keep building content and it's just all better for your, your profile in the end. And the amazing thing too about Rogan, cause I listen to him as well. Again, yeah. not pro or against Rogan. I just figure if he's got the biggest thing in the world, I should probably listen to what he's doing. Like just cause as a student, I should see what, what is he doing? Right. You know, well, I think and, I think that now that he's got that $100 million deal, I think it might even tighten him up a little bit. I think it might make him a little more nervous. Well, it's funny too, because, you know, he just went to Spotify. And, sure. uh, you know, I, I've said for many years, the reason I started doing this podcast was specifically Mark Marin because I loved him, Same. and uh, Bill Simmons. Now, yeah. Bill Simmons, who runs The Ringer, you know, when I first came back to Utica to do this, pod, not to do this podcast, this was a, a side right. bar right. coming back, that was the plan. I wanted mm -hmm. to do the Bill Simmons model, which was, yeah. I'm going to do this podcast. And then if I can create like 10 shows and just put yeah. them all on one network. Sure. So, you know, I think you just have to always be ready to change. And that didn't yeah. work out the way I wanted to because I had other jobs and stuff. Right. Right. <laughs> but but like, that's life, man. Like that's, that's what, that's what life is. Um, I want to ask you, how long have you been at K-Rock now? Um, I've been 
in mornings in central New York for a decade this month, I will be at K-Rock seven years next month. So seven years at K-Rock. So a decade you've been on the radio though. I've been, I have not been in Utica until I got to K-Rock. I was on a Syracuse station and then I got hired to K-Rock seven years ago in October. So, so that would have brought me to, to 94.9 in Utica. So I'll give you, so 10 years, that means you've probably witnessed firsthand from the, from the inside sort of a shift to a more digital platform, sort of oh, yeah. on-demand platform. What's that sort of been like? Is that something you expected or you guys sort of foresaw on the horizon when you were starting? So it's weird for me because, like, I, I seem to always have the best ideas at the wrong times. Like, that's just been my life. Yeah. I have, like, the best <laughs> ideas when no one's looking for that idea. So yep. I wanted to do morning radio, and nobody would obviously give me a morning radio show because I had never done anything locally. So I started doing a live podcast probably 12 years ago yeah. where I would do was a comedy club in Syracuse and I would set up on the stage on a Wednesday night at seven o'clock and do like the David Letterman show that I wanted to do, but then record it to a podcast and all that stuff. So then I get hired to do a morning radio show and I go, well, that's great. Now I can just upload yeah. my show as a podcast because not everybody works, you know, six to 10 in the morning. There's second shift and third shift and I want them to be able to hear my show. So I'll upload it. And at that time, the company I worked for said, no, you can't do that because then they won't listen to you on the radio. And I go, well, that's ass backwards. What do you mean? <laughs> One isn't going to like take away from the other. And they go, well, you can't do that. Uh, so I had to secretly upload my podcast for like two years because management was like, no, no, no. And then in these years, now they've shifted to, well, everybody's got to have a podcast. So it goes back to me having an idea, but at the wrong time, oh, and I, I was ahead of the curve on all that. I have said for years, and people think I'm lying, that I essentially invented the Pardon My Take Barstool Sports podcast by accident in my kitchen 10 years ago, and just no right? one listened. Isn't it we, the worst? We had a show called Famo and the Wookiee, which was essentially a takeoff of like any sort of like boomer in the nude, Famo sure, and sure, the Wookiee. Sure. And we would just do like comical sports takes and like dunk on quarterbacks and do and play Kanye West songs. And we're like, yeah, yeah this, this is a show. Like, yeah, I, if I'd put that show out 10 years ago, I don't know. But it, regardless, it was, it's like being at the wrong, the, you're at the right Honestly. place, but at the totally wrong time. Uh, so I got to ask you, you know, I'm sure that you've been there 10, you've been doing radio 10 years, you've been at K Rock 7. Mm -hmm. Is there anyone in particular who like helped you along the way or sort of like gave you sort of inspiration or motivation as your, as your time getting through? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, yeah, honestly, the it's it's when I started in Syracuse, I don't know if Utica listeners will know, but there's a morning show, Ted and Amy in Syracuse, which mm -hmm. is it's like a pop format, right? Yeah. And they would let me do morning like visits, like segments. So like on Thursdays, come by and do this little segment. And they were always very supportive. Even to this day, they, they were very supportive, uh, supportive. They've been in this, I think, 30 plus years doing this kind of Central New York morning radio thing. So they've always had great advice, uh, you know, of, of kind of what to do and what not to do. And then um, the, the owner of K-Rock has always been very supportive because I'm, I, I don't do like your standard morning radio show and it doesn't make sense. A lot of times it's very out there and he's fine with it. Just to, you know, keep doing your thing. And he's has, you know, stories of do's and stories of don'ts. And it's weird because, you know, like I do a the guy next door to me in the morning, Rick Gary, who is on sunny one Oh two has been in the market for, he's got to be 80 years old now he's been there for 50 years so he'll have stories like of you know talking to elvis and stuff so it's just like keeping your antennas up and listening to the random advice that's coming in and keeping the good stuff and knowing when the bullshit's coming in too 
this is a, this is a stupid question. I always laugh sure. about this. When we were, when I was working in restaurants in New York, I always laugh because, you know, at the end of the night at the restaurant, you go out to the bars in New York and you're just running into other waiters and restaurant people because right. that's just the people you hang out with. Mm-hmm. You guys, you have like relationships with people in other media platforms across like the city and stuff. Do you guys all get along relatively well or? I mean, I don't, I'm, I don't have any opposition. I'm not like a, I don't fight with anybody don't anymore. Fuse. I, yeah, I don't fuse. <laughs> Radio feuds is an old thing. There used to be a lot of them. I just am such an anxious person and I'm such a people pleaser. Being the, the son of a single mother, I need to make everybody happy all the time. So I just can't feud. And I, right. I, I just never get into it. But yeah, I mean, TV people and I are cut from a different cloth. So I don't really re- like relate to TV people. But podcasters and radio people, yeah, we're just all a bunch of degenerates. And I love it. Like I can bounce around with them all day. Uh Josh, I want to thank you for uh, spending time with us here today. Again, Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. Uh, on 94.9 Utica. And give me the Syracuse one more time. 100.9 Syracuse, 106.5 up in Utica, Watertown area. All right, cool. And uh, that's you and Cody Mack and Just Joe and – And Rosa, yeah. Oh, Just Joe yeah. and Rosa are on hold just because the COVID situation. Our, sure. our studio is really locked down. But, yeah, when they come back, they'll be back soon. Yeah, that's a good question. I can't believe we didn't got that. Has that, uh, has sort of the COVID quarantine era like changed the way you guys are doing work at all? Has it been any sort of, has it been a major shift? Well, it's kind of been a weird blessing in disguise because we, we kind of started putting our focus on our Twitch channel a lot about a year ago. I was going to ask you that actually. Yeah. And, and we can talk about that. And, and so probably October of last year, I had been streaming on YouTube. YouTube was just not great. It, you play music, it blocks. It's a whole thing, right? Yeah, I, I'm very deep in on all how YouTube, like, screws its content creator. Yeah. I'm, I'm deep in that whole reading about that, so. So I want nothing to do with that. And I, and I was just keeping an eye on this Twitch medium. And, you know, we would stream in the mornings. And then COVID happened and everybody was at home. And everybody had to sit at their laptop in the morning. And our numbers just went through the roof. It was great for us. Yeah. Because they're like, yeah, we can listen on the radio, but I also want to look in on the studio and see you guys. So from a, from a content-wise, it's, like, it's been awesome because there's just so many new eyeballs looking at us. Um, but, I mean, it's, I joke. I don't do anything anyways. I'm such a homebody that I, yeah. I'm not missing out on anything. I don't, <laughs> I don't like going anywhere. I like being <laughs> home. So I'm not really like now I don't have to make up excuses to not go to places. Oh, dude, I watched four seasons of Veep in like three days. It's been right, a yeah. secret <laughs> dream. I've been loving it. Uh, so uh, before I let you go, we like to do lightning round questions here. Sure. Uh, but Well, let me ask you this before we get to that, since we were just talking about it. So you really enjoying sort of doing the Twitch thing? I know a lot of my buddies have either got in through video game streaming and stuff like yeah, that. Man. Yeah, man. I helped a bunch of musicians during, um, during lockdown. I, I, I'm a good example is Joe, who does the show with us. He lost in one day, I think something like 700 gigs because of everything canceled. And that's how he makes his living. He goes, holy, he's like, holy shit, I have no way to make a living anymore. There's no bars, there's no restaurants, there's no weddings, there's nothing for me to play. And that's his bread and butter. Yep. And I said, hey man, well, you got to get on Twitch. And he did, and he's making more now than he was doing all that stuff. I mean, so it's not just for gamers anymore, not to make this a Twitch commercial, but I've had a lot of musician friends that have kind of pivoted to that to people like you and I who want to sit at home and watch a show, I don't want to go to, I don't want to go to a bar or a club. If you're going to be on my TV, I'll watch you at home. What I find really fascinating about Twitch, and I was just talking, I was making this comparison a couple weeks ago. If you went back to like the early 2000s and you mm-hmm. told somebody, hey, you know this MySpace you love so much? It's going to get totally supplanted by Facebook. You're never yeah. going to see MySpace again. People right. would be like, that's outrageous. Right. Why would we, we love MySpace. Right. I do think there's a scenario in like five years down the road when people are like YouTube. 
I think so. I think that Twitch has a real chance to like become a primary. You don't have to be first. You just Mm -hmm. have to be the best slash most accessible. And I think there's a real opportunity for them because people are mad at YouTube. Yeah, I just hope that they don't go the way that YouTube did, where they had a boom and all these content creators are making tons of great content, making tons of great money, and they just blew it up. Yeah, They got crazy and weird and built these algorithms. I mean, I don't want to get too nerdy. I could talk that stuff all day, but they, they blew themselves up. As long as Twitch doesn't do that, I do think it has a future. And I'll do my best to get all the links and stuff here for folks if they want to get in touch with you on Twitch. Sure. Uh, Josh, I have some lightning round questions for you, uh, including two that we did just specifically for you. Okay. So, uh, again, you can follow Josh on Twitter as well at KROCK. Josh is a great Twitter follow. Uh, let's start here. It, I saw you tweeting about horror movies. It is mm-hmm. getting close to Halloween. Give me a fringe horror movie people don't know that they can watch this Halloween that you're into. It's not, it's not fringe, but people shit all over it. And the movie Ghost Ship, I love so much. Oh. oh! <laughs> it is like so it gory. And it was one of my wife and I's first dates. The, <laughs> the movie starts with like a hundred people getting decapitated. It's the best ever. And uh, my wife is still shaken 12 years later after watching that movie. I have, a, I have a deep, deep spot in my heart for like what I would refer to as a quote unquote bad movie. Mm-hmm. And I sat through a movie a couple nights ago that's worth watching. It's from 1994. It's got Wesley Snipes and Robert De Niro, and it's called The Fan. Have you ever seen this movie? <laughs> I have not seen The Fan, oh but I will. God. Okay, I'll watch it. Go, go watch The Fan. It's on one of the streaming services. I just watched it. Mm-hmm. It's essentially Robert De Niro is Wesley Snipes' stalker, and Wesley Snipes is just playing Willie Mays Hayes, except it's for real, and he's on the Giants, right? Like, he's a... <laughs> He's on the Giants. His name's Bobby Rayburn, and uh, and De Niro stalks him for the whole movie, like he's a total yeah. creep. Yeah. But the that'd be a fine movie. But the the escalation of what happens in the movie, right? Like, not to spoil this movie that's mm-hmm. 20, 20 years old. A in this scenario, a major baseball player, the second best player on the San Francisco Giants, is murdered in cold blood in an unsolved case. And they're just like, well, we're still going to play the game. <laughs> like, we're just, I know he got stabbed in the sauna and no one knows who killed him. It's a oh. huge national story, but, you know, the game's got to go on. God, uh, I love those kind of movies. I'll uh, watch that now. The Fan. All right. The Fan. It's definitely worth a watch. It's hilarious. Uh, all right. So here we go. If you had your own personal radio station, Josh, what genre would you like it to be? I don't think many people would listen to it, but mid 90s pop punk and ska and that's all i'd listen to i love it i don't think anybody but you and i would listen to it but it would be that listen i've played in punk bands for many years i know lots of secret emos who are hiding around here nice good good uh when you wake up in the morning josh how do you take your coffee i don't drink coffee really i've never drank coffee my whole life nope nothing no caffeine i drink my go-to is i i slam probably 24 to 30 ounces of water really quick smart smart and i don't I've never drank coffee. It makes me shit my pants. I don't care about, I don't drink hot liquids at all. I don't like them, but I find that <laughs> I don't, I don't like them. And I, so I just do like, I'll do three glasses like this. No, the radio world, the podcasters can't see yeah. it, but I'll do three of those room temperature really fast. And that wakes me up. Uh, what was your very first automobile? 1990 Chevy celebrity station wagon. It's the greatest vehicle I've ever owned. I got it to 240,000 miles before I sold it for $100. Uh, you may or may not have taken your Chevy Celebrity to see it. But what was your first 
live music event? My mom, I think, just verified this for me. Mm -hmm. Because I had two in my mind, and I wasn't sure which one I went to first. I'm pretty sure it was Lollapalooza Mm -hmm. 96. Wow. That's pretty good. With the Shaolin Monks and the Wu-Tang Clan and a bunch of those. Because I, I think, I think, and a band Psychotica that was, it was crazy. So it was that. And then a month later, I saw Smashing Pumpkins at the War Memorial in, um, in Syracuse. As a guy who went to Proctor, I have a deep part of my soul that just loves the Wu-Tang Clan. I love them yeah. forever. I, yeah, of you course. Know, you of must course. protect your neck. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> maybe our toughest question of the day, uh, if you could have dinner with any person, living or dead, who is not your relative, who would it be and why? David Letterman. David Letterman, because I always wanted to be him. He's been my idol my whole life. Yeah, Letterman's, uh, Letterman's such a fascinating character. And as a kid, I guess I, I got really caught up in like the Letterman-Leno like story. Mm-hmm. Sure. The whole thing with him and Conan O'Brien, with Leno kind of cutting Conan's legs out from under him. I, I thought that whole thing was super fascinating. The movie The Late Shift, have you seen it? No, I've heard about it though. Oh, is it good? Yeah, is it yes. worth it? Oh, it's the best. It's the There's best, like a yeah. book about this that just came out too. Like, I think the guy who did the ESPN slash SNL book. Yeah, uh, Bob. I don't remember the name, but he wrote Andrew a book Gene about something or something like about yeah. the Leno Conan thing too. Yeah. Uh, give me one book, album, movie, or television show you are currently reading, listening to, or watching. Book, album, movie, or television show. Book, album, movie, or television show. I've got one for each. Um, you can hit me with all if you want. It's all fine with me. What would I say? All right, I bought a book by Ben Folds that I haven't started yet. But hey, called the sto- a, a story about uh, fireflies or something. And I'm a huge Ben Folds fan, so I just bought that yesterday. I think we just became best friends. Ben Folds was like a big part of my like. Uh, I'm accepting other music that's not punk into my life. Yeah. Also, a girl showed it to me who I had a crush on. So a big no. I'm gathering that you and I exist as the same person in different universes. <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting a, a, a good impression. We have, we have a lot of very similar things that we, yeah. are, we cover there. Yeah, that Benfold, there's definitely at least one Benfold 5 song. I think it's fair that made it on my list for Nostalgia Week next week for like important. <sighs> I just, yeah. I saw, you know the absolute funny? best. I went to the last big major concert I went to. I went to uh, Bonnaroo in 2012 because. Um, Radiohead was playing. Radiohead's like uh, in my top five. Same, same. And, uh, you know, and the Jizza was playing Liquid Swords, the entire album at three awesome. in the morning. Awesome. And then, um, but Ben Fold 5 was reuniting. And so I was like, all right, I have to go. So we went, and this is going to sound really weird. I'm sorry for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about. No, please. Ben Folds was overlapping with another artist I wanted to see. So mm-hmm. he played the first, Ben Folds 5, and then it was Bon Iver. We're playing back to back. And the people I was there with are like, we're not staying for the rest of Ben Folds. Like, I don't yeah. like Ben Folds the way you do. Sure, sure, sure. I'm going to Bon Iver. And they stayed for like the first two songs of Ben Folds 5, and it was not good. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh man, this is like rough. Yeah. And yeah. they left. And then, I don't know what happened, but like three songs in, they like figured it out. And all of a sudden they were, and they were like ripping. And I was like, oh my God, oh. they're great. They're killing it. So I don't know what happened. I don't know if like their mics were wrong. I don't know what was. Oh, wrong. Damn it. <laughs> but they were great. It's, so let's circle back. Everything on this podcast is intertwined because yeah. you asked me my first concert, Lollapalooza 96. Mm. Years later, I fall in love with Ben Folds. I saw him on Conan. I fell in love with his band and everything he does. Yeah, amazing. Two years ago, 
or maybe a year ago, I'm asking my mom, I was like, which was the first concert I went to? She goes, I think it was, I think it was Lollapalooza 96. You and our neighbor went. So I go, who was on that? And I go and I look at the set. I look at the, the playbill. And there was the main stage. And then over on the second stage, Ben Folds 5. And I didn't so. even see him. I didn't even see him because I was watching the main stage. <laughs> but it's like a guy, this band that I loved, played at this thing I was at. But I had no idea they were there because I didn't know they existed yet. That's uh, that I did that with, uh, what do you call it? Um, My Morning Jacket. They opened for mm -hmm. Pearl Jam in like 2006. I'm like, My Morning Jacket, move along. I'm trying to hear right. Pearl Jam. Get out of right, here. Right, right. <laughs> you nerds. <laughs> <laughs> I actually love My Morning Jacket. They're great. No, uh, right on. And uh, Josh, before I let you go, last but not least, give us one more thing besides music from the 90s, besides, uh, you know, broadcasting. Uh, give me one more thing uh, that you are passionate about. Food. I really love food. Oh, I yeah. love bad food. <laughs> I, love, I love anything fried. I love pizza. I love wings. I love, like... And you, I'm using the word passionate. Like, I'm passionate about good wings and good oh, yeah. pizza and just garbage food. Because I always say, like, people are like, well, man, you can't eat like that. You're almost 40. You're almost 40. All right. There's people that want to live their life. Yeah. Like, they're a 1970 Mustang, and they're going to put it in the garage, and it's going to be perfect forever. I'm living my life like my body is like a 96 Dodge Neon, and I'm beating the shit out of it. And I'm making a lot – I'm having a great time doing uh, it but I don't expect it to last very long. That's I, all I'm figuring. I definitely had a 1996 Dodge Neon, by the way. Uh, <laughs> so I'm just going to throw that out there. Great vehicle. Uh, Josh, it's been a great pleasure. Um, as I've been telling everybody for the last few weeks, I don't know how to turn this recording off without sure. turning the whole thing off. Sure. So uh, again, people can reach you on Twitter at uh, KRockJosh. It's a great Twitter follow for anyone who's on there. You're on Facebook. I'll link everything up the best I can. And, uh, and just thank you for spending time with us today. We really appreciate it. Dude, this went by so fast. I'm happy to come back anytime you want me. I, awesome. I feel like you and I could talk for hours and hours. I'm gathering that as well. Uh, tell, <laughs> tell my buddy Rain hello when you see him next time. I will absolutely do that. Thanks, buddy. Well, see you later. See ya. Again, don't like to move. Respect the energy. Shout out to Josh from K-Rock. Mm -hmm. Great conversation. Really enjoyed talking to him. Overdue. Looking forward to talking to him again. All right. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, so let's get into history lessons this week because Ooh. I have an extra entertainment you section. You told me before the interview you were pepping up, and now we're into history lessons. History lessons are all right this week. The They're pretty switch. good this week. All right. Well, well, you'll see. What we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, our first lesson comes from 1846 on this day. German astronomer Johann Gottfried Gale. Astronomer? Astronomer? Astronomer. <laughs> Johann Gottfried Gale discovered the planet we know today as Neptune. Mm. Which seems wild, because like, how do you discover something that far away in 1846? It's just telescopes? You get... With with reasonable enough certainty yeah. to know that, like, oh, it's a planet that we can call Neptune. Yeah, yeah it I seems... Don't, <laughs> I don't have... I don't understand a lot of that stuff. Uh... 
So the giant gas, the giant gas, the blue gas giant, which has a diameter four times that of Earth, so it's bigger than Earth. I bet you if I had asked, if you would ask me which planet is bigger, Earth or Neptune, I would have, 50-50 would have gotten it wrong. Like, I, I would have been guessing. No, Neptune's got some size. Size is pretty big. Uh, it is, uh, it has eight known moons, of which Triton is the largest, mm -hmm. uh, and a ring system connecting three bright and two dim rings. Uh, it completes an orbit around the sun every 165 days. Mm. Uh, in 1890, sorry, in 1989, the dark, the great dark spot, an anti-cyclonic storm spanning 13,000 by 16,000 kilometers was discovered by NASA's Voyager 2 spacecraft. It resembles the great red spot on Jupiter. Uh, five years later, they couldn't find it on the planet. Uh, instead, a new storm similar to the Great Dark Spot was found in the northern region. Uh, mm. So, just a desolate, cold storm planet out in the distance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> lucky, lucky to have this one. I would love, you know, and is, again, this is like some weird, like, I could never really answer this. I would love to know, like, I'd love to see a real artist's rendering of what, like, the surface of a place like Neptune looks like. Yeah, I wonder how much you could, we could even know. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. it's impossible to know, it feels like. I mean, at this point, I might get some probes out there. I don't know if we ever, you know, send yeah. anything, any satellites, any probes. It, it seems foreseeable that perhaps in the future we might get a better idea. Uh, Neptune is sort of, uh, could go fall under my, what I used to call as a kid, the Montana hoax. Because it's like, well, I don't know anybody from Montana. So because so, you don't know anybody from Neptune? Because I, I don't know anybody from Neptune. Like, there's no guarantee. As opposed yet. to all the folks you know from Mars, <laughs> exactly. Venus, Jupiter. Funny you should say that. In the news this week, signs of alien life have been detected. I'm glad you brought this up. On Venus. Microbes. I was just thinking about this. <laughs> and I was like, there's no way I can bring this up. <laughs> yeah, microbes. Rare microbes discovered in the clouds of Venus suggest colonies that could be thriving in the oxygen-free environment high in the planet's atmosphere. Well, that's what I think is one of the craziest things about this story and, you know, the sign that they think they found sort of like this uh, biosignature of organic life. It's like the most feasible thing it could come from. They've tested out a lot, of, a lot of other hypotheses. But on Venus, the surface of the planet is just horrible. Acid yeah. rain, terrible yep. temperatures, volcanoes, all sorts of wildness. But this they found way, way up in the clouds. So the notion of some sort of life, which would probably be, you know, you know, bacterial, like, you know, microbes yeah. in nature, if, the, if there was anything out there, the notion of that existing just high up in the clouds while nothing can be down on the surface of the planet is a really crazy idea to think about if we find other, you know, single-celled organisms or stuff like that in our close relative neighbors in the universe. Here's a real 2% joke. When I was a kid, uh, there's a movie I watched. It's a Ray Harryhausen movie called 10,000 Miles to Earth. Mm. And it's about a rocket ship that goes to Venus and it comes back from Venus, and there's a monster. It's a little tiny monster. Mm. But on Earth's atmosphere, it doubles in size every night. So oh, as, boy. Right? Uh, and all I can think of when I read this story was there's a great, like, unintentional comedy line in the movie where, like, the scientist, who's, like, some foreign scientist, is talking to the main character, and he's like, the monster's from Venus! And the main character looks at him and goes, the planet Venus? And I... <laughs> and I <laughs> Even as a kid, no, I'm like, Venus, Nevada. Oh, yeah, yeah, Venus, New Jersey. What are you talking about? The planet, yeah, yes, the planet you Venus. Mean, it could it be? Could it, it be? be? <laughs> so, yeah. There's a real two percent of joke. Ten thousand miles to Earth, a good one. Uh, on this day, 1862, Lincoln issues the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, again, one of important dates in American history. One of the big ones. We can talk about this. We talk about this every year. So I can sit here and talk about the details of it if you really want us to. Um, 
But I have a question for you. It's more of a thing I've been thinking about a lot lately, right? So, you know, Lincoln Project, right? Very popular on Twitter. Is is Abe Lincoln the president that both parties claim like the most intensely? Like do both Republicans and Democrats seem to love Abraham Lincoln for very you know, for various mm. different reasons. It feels like the president you don't tend to get a lot of like other presidents that are beloved or or, or want to be claimed on the other side, right? Like it's mm. not like the Republicans were like, "Oh, we wanted Obama." <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, like I they, know what you mean. do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I don't know. I guess be, is it just because of who Lincoln is and his place in history? Um. Yes, and because it, I mean, yeah, and it, it's quite that's one of the big things with it, and because it was at such a foundational you know, time of change and transitional, a thing that went on that we still talk about and still has reverberations today, and because there was a sea change and shifting, you know, in the parties and through this time, because parties have kept names or changing what they do and been institutions for you know over 100 years now and stuff like that that is where a lot of it comes from and also a lot of people want to claim him because he's basically number two on the depth chart of when you when you look at all the past presidents we've had and stuff like that you know some would suggest that he is the son to george washington's father so to speak he's the batman to george washington's superman uh I don't know if those are the... You flip them around, I'm not sure which one's which. I, I don't know about... No, because they weren't contemporaries. Batman and Superman. They would have, That's have to true. Be some other revolutionary war fight would have to I be see. the Batman. I was thinking more like you've got the... They've got like the, you know, the father, son, Holy Spirit type thing. Ah! Like Washington, the father, and then his son, the Lincoln, and that whole... And then kinda, it, is Jefferson the Holy Spirit? Hierarchy. I, you wonder. You wonder. Like William McKinley. McKinley. <laughs> McKinley. Uh, Grover Cleveland, president twice. Not a great guy. Uh, so, interesting thing about Emancipation Proclamation. You know, a lot of people talk about what this was about, preserving the unions, was this about slavery, states' rights. Regardless of what you're talking about, after the Emancipation Proclamation, essentially now, backing the Confederacy was seen as favoring slavery. Right. right? Like after this, which is sort of why you get Great Britain and France, who are anti-slavery, who are now joining the Union side of this war. right? Because right. now, essentially, after this... Backing the Confederacy does make you essentially attached to favoring slavery. Well, yeah, and it basically it, it met them at their tacit agreement of all of the articles of um, secession that everybody filed mentioned slavery and the abolishment of slavery as the primary reason. So, yeah, it was meeting them being like, yeah, well, I'm sorry, this is what it's going to be. So if you've got to make this move and go from here, like we're drawing this line yeah. and here's this. Uh, all right, moving on this day, 1938. The Great New England Hurricane, a powerful Category 3 hurricane, slammed into Long Island and southern New England, causing 600 deaths and devastating coastal cities and mm. towns. Also called the Long Island Express, which is a really cool, frivolous name for a terrible <sighs> storm. Uh, the, great, yeah, that's... the Great New England Hurricane <laughs> in 1938 uh, uh, was the most destructive storm to strike the region in the 20th century. Uh, you know, I think about this, and what, what sort of catches me on guard about this is, like, 1938. I'm not saying they didn't have meteorologists. But, like, when you talk Rock. about a storm sneaking up on you, right? In an area, it's, it's not like it's the tip of Miami. It's not like it's the Florida Keys where they're like, hey, just so you know, if you're going to live down here, this is what goes on. Like, uh, yeah. As the hurricane passed into Rhode Island, winds in excess of 120 miles an hour caused 12 to 15 feet of storm surge, which doesn't sound like as much 12, 15 feet until mm -hmm. you see that thing. That's a ton. That's an incredible amount of storm surge. Um, yeah, the hurricane lost intensity as it passed over New England. Uh, nearly 9,000 homes and buildings were damaged, uh, destroyed and 15,000 damaged. Nearly 3,000 ships 
We're sunk or wrecked because you're talking 1938. A lot of ships in the wood, harbor. Wood, baby. All this wood, it's gone. No, I mean, to be fair, they had a lot of steel no, ships. They but did still. in 1938. Uh, <laughs> it was like 30 years after Titanic. Power lines. Those definitely weren't like yeah. clippers. Uh, total damages were $306 million, which today equals $18 billion. $18 billion. Makes you lucky in a lot of ways that we haven't had, you know, knock on wood, and certainly you never know what's up, but there hasn't been a major, major hurricane like that up in the northeastern region because it's just an area that's not well prepared to do it. Especially, I remember they got that storm up out in Massachusetts where it was, like, cold, and the hurricane storm surge, like, that kind of Mm -hmm. storm came, and so the streets flooded with storm surge, and then it froze, is there like okay th- okay here's another I'm, I might be an idiot question, is there like a winter hurricane? Is that a blizzard? Is a stupid question? I mean like I'm, like a blizzard isn't a hurricane. No, hurricane hurricane is specifically has to do with being a storm forming over the ocean and coming in. And so for the most part, those things don't happen in places where it winters because it's so coastal. What if we got snow tornadoes in upstate New York? Wouldn't that be wild? Just. Yeah. Spirals of wind picking up the snow like a big yeah, frosty snow. It. That'd be terrible. With, like icicles Yo, and hail in it. Write this Sci-Fi Channel movie: Ice tornado, snow tornado. <laughs> It'd be <laughs> perfect for Sci-Fi because then it doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be good. It doesn't at have all. to be good at all. I see. Uh, all right, see. we're getting into what I'm going to refer to as, I guess, the entertainment portion of the pod this week. Got a lot of entertainment themed stuff here. The last mm-hmm. two history lessons included on this day, 1985. George Clooney makes his very first television appearance as a handyman on the popular television show, The Facts of Life. Mm -hmm. Uh, He appeared in 17 episodes of that show. He would also go on to star in the show ER, as well as such films as Perfect Storm, Ocean's Eleven, Michael Clayton, Up in the Air, Gravity. Uh, He won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for his role in Syriana in 2005, which I have never seen. Uh, and he also received Best Director and Best Screenplay Oscar nominations for Good Night and Good Luck, which I have seen, and it's good. Um, let me ask you a question. I have his filmography pulled up. Sure. Is Clooney overrated? No. No? You no. don't think so? What do you mean? I don't know. I'm looking at the... Okay, uh, let me run through the filmography. Here. Please. All right. So, Please. So I'm going to ignore anything before, like, he, from Dust Till Dawn. Before ER. Before from ER. Dust Till Dawn. 1996, right? Okay. So these are just the movies. And you're trying to prove to me here that he's overrated. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Dust Till Dawn. I like the movie. One Fine Day. Batman and Robin. Great. The Peacemaker. The Thin Red Line. People like that. Out of Sight, which I would argue is the... Out of Sight is an incredible movie. Out of Sight is the first real impeachable, like, this is a banger. On this list so far. We like Batman and Robin because we like Batman and Robin. But no one's going to sit here and go to bat for that. Well, ba- Batman and Robin and From Dust Till Dawn are both genre movies. Genre movies. Yeah, right. yeah. So they're pulp. Uh, Which, so this... you know, take, take it or leave it. Pulp is pulp, but he is game and does a nice job. So 98, you're doing out of sight. 99, Three Kings. Another movie mm-hmm. I really like. Another great movie. Uh, 99, perfect. Uh, sorry, no, South Park the movie. It has a cameo in 99. 2000, he does Perfect Storm and Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Both great. 2001 Ocean's Eleven. I would argue mm-hmm. this is like the run right here. From Out of Sight in 98 to Ocean's Eleven in 2001, maybe the biggest movie star in the world. Mm. May, like, just killing it. I still A lot of his best movies are still in years after this. Okay. Uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, one of my favorite movies, but he is barely in it. That's like a directorial thing. Mm-hmm. Solaris. 
Mm. Intolerable Cruelty. Ocean's 12. Ocean's killing it. Good Night and Good Luck. Syriana. Those are 2005, so good year there. Mm-hmm. You've seen Michael Clayton. I feel like this is right in your wheelhouse. Um, I think I saw some of it on like HBO back when flipping to HBO was something. I caught like a good chunk of it, but not the whole thing. Hmm. Ocean's 13, Leatherheads, Burn After Reading. Burn After Reading was awesome. I'm a big mark for Fantastic Mr. Fox, actually, which I forgot Fantastic he was in. Fantastic Mr. Fox is great. People love that. Men Who Stare at Goats. Mm. Up yeah, in the Air. That was weird. Up in the Air is an amazing movie. I thought that was really, really good. The American, The Ides of March. I, Ides of March is... I forgot that movie exists. Ides of March is super underrated, and everybody... Should, I'm going to see if that's on streaming. Like, really <laughs> Ides of March uh, is an awesome movie. Uh, the Descendants. Powerhouse Gosling performance. The Descendants, Gravity. Descendants was also an amazing movie. Uh, Monument Men, Annie, Tomorrowland, Hail Caesar, something called The Money Monster in 2016, and then a movie called The Midnight Sky coming out. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, so going through this list, there's some stuff that I kind of forgot about in here. Mm. I forgot about Fantastic Mr. Fox, because mm. it doesn't seem like something that pops up on his uh, his IV, or his... You know, it's, it's voice work, yeah, so yeah. it's always, yeah. Um... Leatherheads is a bomb. Ocean's Twelve is the worst of the Ocean's Thirteen movies. Mm. It is. It is. But One they're still they're eleven, still... thirteen, twelve. Uh, I just don't see. I don't know. I don't see a no, killer in here. Nobody is saying he's Daniel Day Lewis though. Like he's... in order in order for him to be overrated, I think people would have to consider him to be some high level. I think George Clooney is just he's a movie star. In the way that a lot of... There's a difference between people who are like high-level actors and people who are yeah. high-level movie stars. I think when it comes to being a movie star, a lot of these movies where he just plays like this idealized version of the everyman and like just this guy where he's in... Every movie he's in, he's unmistakably George Clooney. And that's both to his help and his detriment and everything that he's Would in. you take him in any given role over Pitt? Uh, no. I think, I think that it's different. What about Damon? Even more different. Too much of a... It feels like an age split. About Wahlberg. <laughs> Mark, you take Clooney over Depends Wahlberg. Depends on the role. Could you imagine? I'm just picturing Mark Wahlberg in some of these... In Solaris. Yeah. I'm picturing Mark Wahlberg in like Up in the Air. Yeah, yeah. Or like, yeah. Hey, I'm a fox. Check it out. <laughs> Guys, I'm a fox. We don't think I'm a fox? Uh, all right. Uh, let's move on to our last history lesson. Uh, and I think we've probably talked about this before, but so I went a different angle. On this day, 1994... Friends debuted. Mm. Uh, you know, the show was a huge hit for 10 seasons, propelled the cast into varying degrees of stardom and success. This is a quote from the original uh, creators, David Crane, Martha Kaufman, and uh, David Bright. Right. Uh, the show was about sex, love, relationships, careers, in a time of your life when everything is possible. It's also about how friendship... Sorry, it's also about friendship because when you're single and in the city, your friends are your family. Mm-hmm. Do you know the original name? Before this show was, before they changed it to Friends, it had multiple incarnations. No. So originally when the show was pitched, the cast was much more like Gen X-y. It was a little more cynical, and the show right, was right. called Insomnia Cafe when it was initially pitched oh, in December Oh, that's 93. terrible. Terrible. Terrible, uh, terrible. At the same time that this was getting pitched, um, the president of NBC was seeking like a comedy involving young people living together. Uh, so this was sort of they were looking for something in this sort of vein when the show was betting pitched. The show was eventually changed the title to Friends Like Us, right? Uh, however, the title was then changed to Six of One. So of these three titles, Insomnia Cafe 
friends like us or six of one, which of those is the best? They're all terrible. They're all yeah, terrible. Man, it's all bad. I guess friends like us feels like the closest, but it's it's all bad. Oh, it's all bad. It's all bad. Uh, <laughs> the show uh, had more than 50 million people tune in for their final episode. Uh, it's one of the most watched finals in TV history. Uh, a reboot starring the original cast was announced in January 2020, but I think that's not happening now. No, right? I think that's like, just some sort of, like, they might, like, get together and... Let me ask you, so I got three questions here for you. Okay. One, do you find it interesting that the Friends font has suddenly become, like, this weird, like, second life thing? Like, people no. just... No. I find it very strange. It's spot on everything from that time. Yeah. That way. You see, like, the youth that use that font... You'll see, we talk about, you see, like, all the Nirvana t-shirts, all the 90s-style stuff. Everything that is that 90s-style is very much in fashion with the youth. Similar to how when we were the youth sage, we were into stuff from times before our time, and different stuff was fashionable from previous times. So, it's right on trend with the time that's being, like, pulled back upon. So, it makes sense to me. Um, do you think that, I, we've talked a lot about in our personal life, like, it's, we thought it was interesting that Friends sort of had this, like, cultural run when it went to Netflix. Like, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, this show was a big deal again. Yeah. I feel like it's going to go to, was it going to HBO Max now? I can't possibly. Is it? I think so. I can't imagine. I'm surprised it's not going to the Peacock. Or the Peacock, or whatever. Yeah. It's going to, is it still going to matter? Is that over now? I don't know if it matters now. Um, yeah. It's just, it's a show that people like. Do you know what I mean? Like, people will find it again, but this stuff all goes yeah. in waves. Like... It's just like The Office. The Office will go away a bit from the, the critical mass it reached a couple of years ago, however many years ago it was, and then left to be possibly rediscovered again. That's just like sort of the cyclical waves of pop culture. I'm done with The Office and Friends for a long time, but I do look forward to the one, to whenever I eventually decide to give it another go, because I'm sure... it's you could, you could go put The Office on right now. Yeah, sure I could. <laughs> but I'm saying I... That's why I They're going to take them away from you, is what it is. That's what I'm saying. You're not migrating to Peacock. That's fine. Take them away for a couple years. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Because then when I do eventually get back around to it, I'll be more excited for it, I Mm -hmm. think. Definitely. Uh, And just the last Friends thing before we move on to our lighthearted stories of the week. Um, What's your best Friends run? What's like your penultimate Friends... Memory, because I know mine are off top of that. If you want me to hit it to you, man, yeah, yeah, hit me, hit me with yours. I mean, for me, I don't think there's anything that was more iconic for me with that show growing up than, you know, Rachel going to the wedding in London. Like that whole run of that show where he says Rachel's name. Spoiler for yeah, a show that's, yeah, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, twenty five years old. Um, mm. but when he goes to the altar at, and he's at the altar and he says her name, I just sure. like. Top level show, top level television at the time. Like it, it feels maybe it feels a little cheesy in hindsight now, mm. but I mean at the time I was like, oh my god. Yeah, yeah, they really, but the whole, I mean, the whole thing. It's such comfort food viewing. For it me. is really. Super I think easy. the the a lot of the big time when they went to London, like that that whole thing is stands out huge. Like anytime a show I like has like a we're going somewhere for a little bit mm. run, um, I would be tough to pick one. Which other questions? Uh, no, that was it. My best. Oh, uh, that's, a, that's the end. Uh, we have two other uh, entertainment stories that are not history related, mm. though. Uh, oh, I see. First off, uh, Ellen DeGeneres finally came out this week with her big apology, rep- addressing her toxic workplace reports. Things happened here that never should have. Is the quote people are running with? Do you? Are you happy that Ellen? I didn't apologized? see her statement, or I didn't. I didn't watch any of it. I haven't read anything really about it, other than like the headlines. So I can't say. Mm. 
I can't judge how sincere or it was or whatever went yeah. on. You know what I mean? I can't be the judge of that, but I, she going to have to get out and address it. She certainly can't sit and wait it out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's, it looks very clear that this wasn't going to be one of those kind of things. Um, so, in last piece of entertainment news, it's that time of year again. It's that special episode where I'm going to talk about the Emmys because they happened last night. Not mm. that anybody noticed. No. Because they were done sort of virtually last night right. for the first time ever. Yeah. Uh, I have no idea what it means for, like, the what the viewing numbers were, if they were good or bad. I don't care. Uh, but I did want to run quickly through some of the winners who you thought. Best drama series this year, Succession. Beat out Stranger mm. Things, Ozark, Better Call Saul, Handmaid's Tale. Big year for Succession yeah. on the Emmys. I really enjoyed last season's Succession. Best Supporting Actress, Some Lady from Ozark, Julia Gardner. Sure, people like that show. Did you know Billy Crudup was on that show, The Morning Show, on Apple TV? I'm only, only super vaguely aware that there's a show called The Morning Show. And <laughs> it's full news to me that it appears on Apple TV. People are very excited for Zendaya getting mm-hmm. a win for Lead Actress for Euphoria. Shout a show out to young, young Folks Love Euphoria. I've heard it's good. People like it. I feel like I'm too old for it. <laughs> mm. I mean, you probably enjoy, enjoy any kind of TV show, I bet. But, like, yeah, it's just nothing I've ever been like, oh, this is what I want to watch. There's so much stuff to watch. Uh, best lead actor in a drama series was Jeremy Strong from Succession. I, mm. Jeremy Strong is amazing on that show. As uh, oh, Who did he win over? Uh, he won over uh, Jason Bateman from Ozark, Sterling K. Brown from This Is Us, Steve Carell from The Morning Show, which, again... Didn't know he was necessarily on, on the morning show. Yeah, is Brian, that not Space Force? I guess not. That didn't get nominated. Uh, Brian Cox, so another Succession person, uh, and then Billy Porter from Pose, which is a thing I've never seen. Okay, I think Jeremy Strong like is doing Good for Jeremy Strong. He's like, really flexing. I just want to make sure he's getting slandered on Better Call Saul. <laughs> no uh, competition program. RuPaul's Drag Race wins uh-huh. out over Mass Singer. Nailed it. Top Chef and The Voice and Watchmen essentially won all of the limited series category like yeah. they just kind of well, they, they really leaned into we're gonna make this limited anthology story and make it like a very singular standalone item uh comedy series Shit's creek won for best comedy series this is a show that i do not watch but man people love it my mom people, loves people it people do people do be love loving this show I'm te- it doesn't tempt me to watch it anymore does that make me a bad person no like, no I, this is just i this is gonna make you want to watch it less true it's gonna make you want to watch watch it if it wins any more awards you might never watch it (laughs) they won everything for comedy that's the only just absolutely dominated and just for the sake of you guys knowing the 20 uh, the total 2020 emmy wins hbo 30 wins netflix 21 pop tv 10 but that's because they have schitt's creek and they won like nine nine awards Uh uh disney plus nbc and then weirdly vh1 with six mm. awards. So there you go. HBO. Back on top, says them, in terms Standing of... Standing strong. A lot of content. Got some Lovecraft Country to watch this week. That's true. That's true. I'm enjoying that show, by the way. That show is pretty... That's good. Uh, all right. We uh, we can move out of this. Uh, this is a story that I wanted to talk about, but we'll just move on. I thought it was interesting that uh, Andrew Yang is really interested in like the healthcare of professional wrestlers recently. This is a story mm. that's been going around. Talking about how professional wrestlers should join the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, I'll say this as someone who watches wrestling. We don't need to go into this on the show. It's true, though. They should. These guys are actors, and they get tossed around pretty bad, not For just sure. in the ring, but in terms of like how they're treated as, quote-unquote, independent sure. contractors. So if you've seen anything about Andrew Yang talking about this, you're like, that's weird. Always having interesting conversations. That's one thing I can always say for Andrew Yang is he's always having interesting conversations. Uh, what do you know? When I say Salino and Barnes, what's the first thing you think of? 
Uh, uh, lawyers. They have the theme song. Yeah, something. Selino and Barnes. Yeah, yeah. Injury attorney, 888-8888, or whatever it is they Just do. Just keep pressing 8 until you get somebody. The famous Selino and Barnes law firm from the commercials people know and love after nearly 30 years. Selino and Barnes have announced their official split. The end of the Selino oh, and Barnes no, commercial. The commercials are gone. They the will form. Selino and Barnes are done with one another? Done with one another after nearly 30 years. Uh, one of the most successful personal injury firms in New York State. Uh, you'll have two separate firms. Selino Law and the Barnes Firm. So, Kevin, if you had to choose a lawyer now, what do you like better? Selino Law or the Barnes Firm? Selino Law. The it's Barnes Firm is weird. The Barnes Firm sounds it sounds like a farm. Like, I don't... It's just Barnes... You can't call it Barnes Law because then it sounds like some weird thing that was just passed Barn in Law. there. Just, yeah. We only do... We, 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 operate, all... we operate on Reps and we only do law about Barnes. Uh, this is juicy, though, because in July of 2017, <laughs> an attorney hot for... Goss. <laughs> an attorney for Barnes claimed that Salino engaged in a pattern of self-interested... Outrageous and reckless conduct, which caused and continues to cause catastrophic damage to the reputation and brand. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Barnes wanted this for a couple years now. He's been trying to get out. So maybe, you know, you support Selena Law, so maybe you should think about the Barnes firm. Because he seems yeah. to be the one. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough. You know, always tough to see such a such a breakup. You know, a couple so important to our community and society. Selena and Barnes, we're no longer friends now. All right. Uh, Friendship ended with Selena. <laughs> yeah. uh, here's some nightmare fuel for you. Dutch inventor has created a living coffin that uses mushrooms to compose your dead body. Compost. Compost. It. Yes. Uh, this is not a nightmare. <laughs> it this looks a like nightmare. a nightmare. No, it's a beautiful dream. <laughs> I yeah. do not. To be fed to the mushrooms? Yeah. No, this is great. Look, I can be talked into the, you know, put me, like, plant a tree with me, right? Put right. me in the thing where they plant the tree. I don't like the imagery of the giant fungal casket mm. <laughs> eating. I don't know. I just something about no. it feels very. I'm sure that it's. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, good for the environment more than like putting steel and concrete and wood and shit in the Definitely. ground, right? I mean, I listen. I'm for, number one. I'm firmly on the record of saying uh, when I go, y'all can do whatever you want. Bury me at body. sea. Yeah. I don't anything. <laughs> anything you, you put me on the couch. Look, put me in a field. Look me. at this picture that the audience can't see and tell me it doesn't look like a death metal album cover. Death, oh, death metal is sick. <laughs> what are you like? I know. <laughs> what are you I know. Doing? I'm just saying. That's your argument. It's, it's a lone white casket above the ground inside of a forest. I hate it's it. It's breathtaking in its beauty. <laughs> and the return to the natural fungal world and to be reclaimed and to allow life to go on and to allow the mycelium to take hold and grow into I've been, your spores to live on forever. To go back to the mushroom? Come I, on. I got caught up on a whole bit reading about mushrooms today for some reason because uh, cause I was like looking at what poison mushrooms Come look on like. In, the water's fine. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Poison mushrooms don't look like much. Don't be getting mm. poisoned by mushrooms. Mm. Uh, quick doomsday report uh, as we're getting toward the end here. Uh, there is a report. This is out of Austin, Texas. There is a ticking time bomb in the United States and that there's billions of dollars of damage that are coming from it. There are 9 million feral hogs in the United the States. The feral hogs are a big time problem. The numbers are ballooning big, big and increasing the estimated 2.5 billion in damage they already cost in the U.S. each year. It's, uh, I love this terminology. Uh, someone referred to it as a feral swine bomb. 
I love <laughs> feral swine bomb. Feral swine bomb. Well, especially yo, not for nothing. Like with the way that viruses go between humans and between pigs and back and forth with mutations, you know, swine flu stuff like that. Yeah, less pigs running wild while we have a global pandemic seems like a good idea. Well, you're talking about feral hogs, too. You're not talking about pigs. These can go anywhere between 75 to 250 yeah, yeah, pounds yeah. on average, and they are twice the size of a normal pig, reaching up to three feet in height, which mm-hmm. is not great. They will literally kill you easily, easily kill you. Well, that's why for a lot of places down south where this is a problem, you know, you hear a lot of, you don't always hear a lot of nuanced talks about guns and their role in various Americans' mm-hmm. lives, right? You know, yeah, like, for sure. a lot of like black and white, and a lot of people not understanding where the people are coming from. But I've certainly read some accounts of people who live out in rural areas and have farms and have, you know, ranches and stuff like this down in the south where the feral hogs are such a problem that it's, it's on site. Like, you're encouraged, yeah. please get the biggest machine gun you can, go out to the woods and kill as many hogs as you <laughs> see because we desperately need this to happen. So for places like that, I mean, I've read different yeah. accounts from people. It's you got to yeah. do something. You can't have hogs running wild. It's too big. Uh, second side of the Doomsday Report. Uh, this is reports from The Guardian earlier this week. Birds in the southwest United States are falling out of the sky in mass die-offs because of the wildfire and climate crisis going on here's my question to you does it make you feel better or worse that it's like ah well this kind of thing's happened a bunch before uh, it doesn't make me feel great either way i'm not loving it i look at my options uh, here a little, little sudden nice before we get to spotify picks for the week uh, i like this story uh this is from the bbc news a national park in thailand has been sending back the rubbish that are the rubbish that people leave in the park to their houses <laughs> Absolutely outstanding. Uh, where where can I donate to this this effort? Visitors to the park, uh, which is referred to as Khao Yai National Park near Bangkok. I hope I said that correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, making it easy for rangers to track them down if they leave their rubbish behind. Your trash will send it back to you, the post warrant, uh, post warrants reminding people that littering in a national park is an offense punishable by up to five years in prison and hefty fines. Also, the worst crime to go into a prison and try and be like a tough guy with. Be like, I robbed a bank. I littered in a national park. Right? Uh, huh. You're probably the low guy on the totem pole here, my man. My man. Yeah, right. Uh, all right. So let's do uh, let's do Spotify picks this week. I had a whole bit about the movie The Fan, which we watched this week, that we didn't get to. Oh, uh, my God. Suffice to say, if you like a bad movie, go watch The Fan. It's pretty bad. Oh, it's so bad. Uh, okay, so a couple couple picks this week. I have six tracks on here already this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll highlight two of them. One is a song called Always a Friend by an artist called Alejandro Escovado. Uh, right. Alejandro Escovado, Escovado, whatever you want to say. I, I don't know the correct pronunciation. He's great. I saw him years ago when I was a kid, when I was still like a heavy punk rocker. Mm-hmm. I went to visit my sister in Chicago, and we went out to the... Uh, Chicago Blues and Jazz Festival, right? Mm-hmm. And he was one of the headliners. And my man was essentially like Latino Bruce Springsteen. Like he's out like a leather jacket and he's just ripping like American rock songs with a little yeah. bit of like a Spanish twang to yeah, it. Yeah. Like, and just real vibes. Rocking like, oh. and rolling, yeah. Like rocking and rolling. Yeah, and, all the time uh, when I see people live, I'm like, oh, this, this guy's awesome. This, he's doing his right. thing. Look at this out here. Uh, yeah, so Always a Friend by Alejandro Escovedo. Mm-hmm. Great song. Uh, Shout out to the Chicago Blues and Jazz Festival, which I don't know if they still do. Uh, and then the other one is a song called The Great Wall of China mm. by Billy Joel, which I was going through songs for this week. And this is 
I like an outrageous song. This is one of the most audacious and outrageous songs I've ever heard. I, I like it. But yeah. it's just like, I don't even know what this is. Right. I can't explain to you what kind of song this is or what kind of music this even is or what he's going for. It's just a wild song. Great Wall of, Great Wall of China, Billy Joel, off of the 1993 album River of Dreams. That's my second pick hmm. this week. Kev, do you have any pick for this week? Um, So when I was looking at the list, uh, things have changed lyrics we talked about earlier. You know, we lost our yeah. buddy Matt. And um, so... As somebody who was my friend initially bonding over music, being in a band, and especially in those influential times when you're learning to play, um, thinking about a lot of different bands we used to listen to and artists like that. So I'm gonna, I'm definitely gonna include probably a couple things that are remind me of Matt. Specifically, you will hear the song "Superman" by Goldfinger. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Goldfinger was one of his favorite bands, if not his favorite band. He's the person who got me into Goldfinger when I was young, getting into like you know punk rock and stuff like that. Most people, when you hear Goldfinger, will know it as the Tony Hawk song. Yep. Really big on, like, the Tony Hawk 1 video yeah. game. If you hear it's Stage 1. The type of song you've probably <laughs> heard, even if yeah. you don't know what it is. Um, and then after that, I was going to look at a couple different things. I was kind of up and down in the air, so that's the one that I can say for sure. But then after that, i got to look at a couple others and see what I'm going to put. Because I'm kind of shaking around now and seeing, making some moves. Well, next week for folks uh, who don't know, it's going to be essentially, I don't even know what we're calling it, but like uh, I'm doing, uh, our good friend Malik Gale is back. If mm-hmm. you haven't listened to his new season of Against the Algorithm podcast, it started yeah. last Friday. Mm-hmm. Love his show. One of my favorite people. Always I always do the team up. Yeah, I know he's been on relatively recently, but they just started their new season and we came up with a fun game for next week that me and him are going to do. I came up with this concept of a musical timeline. Mm-hmm. Right, like six songs that sort of represent the timeline of your music fandom from where you first started to where you ended up, and mm. it was uh, so. Me and him have been feverishly texting about this for a couple days. I love it. Uh, so we're gonna do that next week. So uh, a very rare opportunity where I get to warn you guys next week what we're gonna do. So start yeah. thinking about your um, your songs that were important to you or your yeah. bands that were important to you uh, as you went through your music fandom. That'll be next week. Uh, all right, so that's it, folks. Thanks to uh, Josh Grossman from K-Rock. Uh, great time chatting him up. Uh, you can follow Heather at HeatherWaz1 on Twitter. Hope Heather's doing well. I've seen her just... I don't know if she's back from the woods. I don't know. I haven't seen her. Never. Never back Never from the woods. Never in her heart. Uh, follow Kevin at underscore Kevin Sullivan. You can follow me at SF Doom, Or you can just follow the show at Uticast. We are on Facebook, SoundCloud, uh, Instagram, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcast, Spotify, uh, iTunes is taking over the web. Mm-hmm. Uh, sayonara, humanoids. Keep it tight. Woodstock lives. Juggling all these platforms like you should come out to juggle and learn this Yo, week. Juggling so many platforms. If I could meet up with Dan Rudolph, my juggling skills would even get better. Wednesday, 6 p.m. Bring handshakes. Three different platforms. Three different platforms to juggle. To juggle. Uh, that's it. Sorry, Nair Humanoids. The, the tape machines are rolling. We are desperately, desperately out of time. As always, we are happy to have you on the Uticast. Take care, folks. Be good to each other and be safe out there. Thank you.